I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Hosea 84 Bionic. Okay, here they go now. They're going to stop listening and they're going to go hunt for their Bible and they won't listen to the Future Quake Show. Well, that's sort of the point. Unless they I mean, memorize it. Go well, quick, go quick, come back and then get it because we've got what, a great show for well, you. What if they're driving in the car and they take their hands off the wheel and looking? they're looking underneath the seat cushion? Pull over. The this show is too important to listen to, okay. not to listen to. You don't want to tell them what Hosea is? No. Like a reading assignment? Go find it. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we got to go quick because we have a lot to talk about. A very memorable Future Quake show this week. One I think that will hopefully motivate you and inspire you. We're going to be talking to Stephen Anderson, who is a pastor of Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona, about an event he experienced that made national news for a brief time, but Futurians need to ponder the implications of what he's just experienced. And we're calling this show The Personal Testimony of Citizen Repression by the U.S. Police State, uh, and it is a personal testimony you won't forget. Mm-hmm. But we need to go. Let's go. Okay, no further ado, here's uh, Pastor Stephen Anderson. We'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, excited for this interview, Bionic. Another short middle name there, Tom. <laughs> Sorry. We, we have a, a wonderful guest who not only is a, is a tremendous example for all of us uh, out there, but also someone who's been tremendously patient with us tonight. Yeah. Uh, Brother Tom, uh, we've, had, we've, we've had several cases where we've had issues related to spiritual warfare issues um, where we've had tremendous technical problems. So yeah. I think this was about the worst tonight. Uh, we're going to need a, uh, to get a USB and plug it into some holy oil. Or something. <laughs> yeah. we, we've had some real challenges. But our, our guest, Pastor Stephen Anderson, who is the pastor of Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona, uh, is joining us tonight because he has a very, very important word to share that uh, we have asked him to share with our fellow believers in the Future Quake audience, talking about a personal testimony of citizen repression by the U.S. police state. Mm. And, uh, Pastor Anderson, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on this very important Future Quake show. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I tell you, you get an, an extra purple heart yeah. if we had one here to send to you for being so patient Three this gold evening. Three stars and a bunny stamp. Well, well, we, <laughs> well, we have hauled out the, uh, the backup hardware to uh, get the mm-hmm. job done here tonight, and that's why I want to jump right into our discussion. Uh, I know you'll be sharing with us some details about uh, something that you have recently experienced and the ramifications and, and how, it, how it provides a calling for all of us who profess Christ. And uh, you can give us some insight, uh, possibly uh, as a minister of the Word. So this is a special opportunity we have here. Uh, To begin our discussions today, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how it led to your current position with your congregation? Sure. Well, I was was born and raised in Sacramento, California. Hmm. And I got saved when I was six years old. And I've pretty much grown up in independent Baptist churches. 
And I moved to Phoenix about three and a half years ago to start a church. And um, I was sent out of an independent Baptist church in Sacramento. And basically, I came out here to start knocking doors, uh, winning people to Christ, uh, getting people baptized. And, you know, here we are three and a half years later. We've, uh, we've had our church now. For those three and a half years, we've got about, you know, 40-some people mm. faithfully attend. Mm. Praise the Lord. So. Yeah. Yeah. A number of those folks, are these people that you uh, uh, were able to bring to the Lord through your door-to-door ministry? You know, that, that's most of who goes to our church. We've had some people mm-hmm. who come from other churches, but really we didn't know anybody when we moved to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've had the joy of seeing most of the people in our church saved or, you know, at least baptized wow. under, our, under our ministry. So. so you've added citizens to the kingdom of heaven immediately from starting this initiative. Absolutely, and I, I think that's the best way to start a church is not to just absorb people from everywhere else, but sure. ideally to be out, you know, reaching people, bap- you know, getting them saved, then getting them baptized, and and teaching them how to be a good Christian, how to you know follow the Bible, and and get other people saved. Rather than uh, uh, bringing people away from other churches they're yeah. at and trying to seduce them with a prosperity gospel or something to try to build a mega church. <laughs> Well, if all exactly. else if all else fails, that's not very trendy. I don't think that's a very trendy book you could write on a shelf. Yeah, uh, it doesn't sound very glamorous to just go knock on doors and share the word of God with them and bring them to the Lord. But I guess if all else fails, you could just add people who uh, are led by the Holy Spirit to your fellowship. Uh, I'm glad right. to hear that's still going on. Yeah, and uh, no we, we we certainly kindred spirits and fully supporting that. Uh, getting on into our subject matter uh, for today, can you share with us a narrative? of the circumstances uh, that, that have been a big part of the news, but quickly got off the news, uh, yeah. news wire very recently, as quickly as it went on uh, a few weeks ago, the circumstances that led to your altercation with the Border Patrol and, and the events that transpired. Sure. Well, I was on a business trip. Uh, in addition to pastoring, I work a full-time job. I run my own fire alarm business. Mm. I've got about three or four employees. And, uh, you know, it's just a small business, but we operate in many states. And mm-hmm. so I do a lot of traveling. Well, I was over in Southern California on a business trip, and I was coming back from San Diego, and it was about 9.30 at night, and I was 75 miles east of Yuma going down the Interstate 8. And the Interstate 8 is just an east-west highway that goes from San Diego to uh, Casa Grande, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so I'm coming down that freeway. And I'm 50 miles from Mexico. You know, I hadn't entered Mexico. I was traveling from San Diego to Phoenix. And I'm at this checkpoint. I pull into this checkpoint. And I've been through these checkpoints literally hundreds of times because I do so much traveling. Let me ask you, Pastor, this this interstate for for a a southerner like me here, that that interstate going east-west, it doesn't ever cross over or get that close to Mexico at all, the entire road, correct? Well, it never crosses the border. I, I think it does get somewhat close to the border, depending okay. on what you would define as close. Okay. But it definitely goes from east to west, and it's definitely an interstate in the United States that never crosses that border. Right. And the particular part of the interstate where I was stopped, I was about 50 miles from Mexico. All right. And I hadn't been to Mexico at all. And uh, so basically, here's the thing. I've been traveling extensively for the last about three years. And for the first year and a half of that time, I would pull into these checkpoints, and whatever they asked me, I'd answer it. And when they'd ask me to pop the trunk or pop the hood so that they could search in my trunk and under the hood, 
you know, I just went along with it. And they'd ask me where I was heading, where I was going. They'd ask me about my job, and I would just answer all their questions. But about a year and a half ago, I started thinking, wait a minute. This is a major violation of my rights as an American. I should be able to travel within the United States without having to show my papers. Right. Without having to explain to them why I'm not doing anything wrong or prove to them that I'm doing something legitimate on my trip. And so, you know, I'm thinking about the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, mm-hmm. that I don't have to be searched without a warrant or interrogated without a warrant. And so about a year and a half ago, I made the decision that I would no longer allow them to search me and that I would no longer answer questions. Interesting. And so I've been doing that for the last year and a half. And usually what happens, and there have been at least ten times where I pulled up, they hit me with a bunch of questions or they wanted to, me to pop the trunk, and I just, you know, did not comply, and I just said, I want to leave. I'm not consenting to any search. I'm not consenting to anything. Please let me go on my way. And at least ten times, they just waved me through, let me go, and that was that. But that's not what happened tonight. So um, here I am. I'm pulling into this checkpoint. It was uh, April 14th, and 9.30 p.m., I pull in, and, you know, they come up to me and start asking me questions. And I did the same thing I always do. I said, you know, can I go on my way? Can I please go? I'm just coming back from work. I just want to go. And they tried to send me to the secondary inspection area. They said, you know, you need to go to secondary. And I heard I heard somebody say this. He said, oh, he's got a camera because they saw that I had a video camera, which I take with me because of problems that I've had in the past. So I had this video camera with me. They said, oh, he's got a video camera. Send him to secondary. That's what I hear. Well, then a minute later, a guy walks up to my window and says, oh, uh, we have a dog that alerted us that there are drugs or a body in your vehicle, and so you need to secondary. So I asked, what does that mean? I said, what, what does it mean the dog alerted? What did the dog do? And he wouldn't tell me. They took the dog away very quickly. I only saw the dog just for a second. And they quickly brought the dog away. And I said, well, what does that mean? Did it, did it bark? Did it sit down? Did it lift its leg? I said, can you bring the dog out and show me, or can you at least explain to me what it did? They wouldn't explain anything to me. They just said, the dog alerted us that you either have drugs or a human being in the truck. I told them, I said, look, I'm a United States citizen. I'm coming home from work. I said, I don't have a body in the trunk. I don't have any drugs. I said, I'm just trying to get home. But, you know, they wouldn't accept that. So basically... This went back and forth for over an hour. And for most of that time, I was just sitting there. You know, sometimes we'd be talking back and forth, but a lot of time I was just sitting there waiting, and I just said, well, let me know when I can leave. And they said, if you leave, you know, you're fleeing the checkpoint, and that's a felony if you leave. So I said, well, I'm not going to leave until you tell me I can leave. So I just sat there and waited. And I waited and waited and waited. Well, finally, after over an hour, the DPS shows up. That's the Department of Public Safety, which is the Arizona Highway Patrol, kind of like our state police. Well, they showed up and said, you're under arrest. And I asked, I said, what am I under arrest for? And they kind of gave me, you know, some some answers. They didn't really give me a clear answer of what I was under arrest for. And I was trying to clarify that with him. Well, then I told the DPS officer, I said, look, they're saying that the dog alerted. It's really just because... I didn't answer their questions that they wanted to search me and send me to secondary. I said, ask them to get the dog out and show us. And I told them, I said, I've been asking them to get the dog out. 
If the dog alerted, fine, but have them bring it out and let's see it alert. So the DPS officer thought that that seemed fair enough. So he went over to them and said, can we get the dog back out here? They said no. They said, no, we're not bringing the dog back out. So I told the DPS officer, I said, well, the reason that they don't want to bring that dog back out is because it's going to expose the fact that they're lying. Mm -hmm. Because that dog, you know, that dog never alerted. I said, they're just trying to make something up to have an excuse to detain me, to search me, to harass me, because they don't like being told no, is what I told them. But he said, well, anyway, they said it alerted, and he basically said, they're telling the truth. And I said, you know, how do you know that they're telling the truth? Right. You weren't even here. I said, let's get the dog out here. So we went back and forth on that for a little while. Well, basically, they said, you're coming out of this car one way or the other, so you might as well just let us search the car. You might as well just get out of the car. I said, listen, I'm not going to let you search the car. I said, if you, if you come into the car, if you break the window and, and come into the car and search it against my will, you know, go right ahead. But I, I'm not going to consent to this search. And so basically that's where it ended up. So I'm sitting there waiting, and they basically deceived me by leading me to believe that they were just going to break my passenger window, which made sense. They're going to break the passenger window, unlock my car, and search it against my will. So they led me to believe that, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, you know, I'm going to have to replace the window, but, you know, this is important. This right. is the Bill of Rights. This is Absolutely. our freedom in America here. Absolutely. That's at stake. And so I thought to myself, a couple hundred bucks for a new window is worth it to make my stand here. So basically, the DPS officer goes over to the passenger side, and he begins tapping on the window with a little hammer. And he keeps tapping away at it, tapping away at it. Well, to my left, there are a couple of Border Patrol agents just standing there kind of with their hands in their pockets. They said, close your eyes. There's going to be some broken glass. Go ahead and close your eyes. So I closed my eyes. I set my camcorder on top of the dash. I closed my eyes, and I actually put my hands over my eyes because I was thinking, okay, a little glass is going to fly. I don't want to get a piece of glass in my eyes. So I closed my eyes, put my face in my hands, and kind of leaned, you know, ready for that passenger window to break. Well, what I didn't know was that there was another Border Patrol agent standing at the very back of my car, he had his baton out, which I couldn't see. He had it, you know, hidden behind him. And I didn't know that he was standing there ready to break out my driver's side window. Okay? I had no clue. Now, you had mentioned that you had a you had a camera. Was that recording all of this stuff at the time? or? Well, here's what happened. When I first pulled up, you know, I, ha- I always just have my camera just sitting on the, on the seat. Sure. Just in case there are any problems. You know, I want to be able to document it mm-hmm. because I want people to, to understand what's going on with these checkpoints. And so, I, you know, you may have seen the other video where I was harassed and detained for about 25 minutes over in New Mexico. And, you know, I had my camcorder. I was able to document it and show people what's really going on at these checkpoints because there are people in other parts of the country who may not really understand what we're dealing with down here in Arizona. Right and California, New Mexico, Texas, because they might live in a part of the country where these Border Patrol checkpoints do not exist. But it'll be coming soon to a place near them, correct? Right. And so I wanted to basically expose people to to what's going on at these checkpoints. And if you watch that other video in New Mexico, you'll see that they, they accused me of being a terrorist. They said, I'm pretty sure you're a terrorist. You're trying to smuggle contraband. You're, the, you know, just making these railing accusations against me with no grounds whatsoever. And so 
basically the camera was sitting on my, my passenger seat. So I turned on the camera, but it was just sitting on the passenger seat. They saw it and said, oh, he, you know, send him to secondary for he's got a camera. Anyway, and, and I already told that part of the story. Well, sure. here's the thing. The camera only had so much battery power. Mm-hmm. So I ended up turning off the camera after a while. You know, I didn't film the whole long showdown because I ran out of power right. on the camera. So what happened was I saved a little power, and basically I turned on the camera just about a minute before they broke the glass in the windows because I wanted to have it rolling for that portion of it. So that's when I turned the camera back on, and that's why you see the, the clip that's on YouTube kind of just picks up about a minute before the glass breaks. That's, that's the exact point where I turned my camera back on. So just to make, just to make nope. clear to our listeners, you can go to YouTube and see this whole, this whole altercation. At least that key part of the event, yeah, you can see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So basically, they led me to believe that the passenger window was going to break. I closed my eyes, and, and I didn't see any taser. I didn't see any baton, anything like that. I had my eyes closed because they told me to close my eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, once I closed my eyes... Not only did the passenger window break, but both windows broke at the same time. And it took five hits from Tom to clear out all the glass in order to do what they wanted to do on the driver's side. So that's why you'll see on the YouTube video him swing that baton five different times. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm being tased that whole time while he's, you know, swinging that baton. And what, what happened was, from my perspective, in the driver's seat, okay, I've got my eyes closed, my face in my hands, hardly a threatening position to be. Yeah, you're not swinging at him. You're not posing any kind of threat whatsoever. And and all throughout this, I never made any kind of threats. I never got violent. I never got physical. I mean, nothing of the sort. Didn't even dream of it. Didn't even come into my mind. And there were 12 of them surrounding my car at one point. And there's just, you know, they're all armed. I'm not armed at all. I had no weapons in the car whatsoever. There's no gun, no knife in the car with me. I'm just sitting there with my face in my hands, the windows begin to break, and instantly I'm tased. Now, when that when those taser projectiles hit me, I didn't even know what happened because I never would have dreamed they would have tased me. I've never been tased before. I've never been arrested before. I've never even drunk a beer before, okay? Mm-hmm. So I didn't, you know, I'm not exactly a criminal, and so I didn't really see this coming at all. Wasn't like so, they called up some kind of criminal record on you in their system or something. Absolutely not, because I've I've never been arrested, ever. Well, now I have, but I hadn't at that point. (laughs) Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, I'm sitting there, and you got to picture me with my eyes closed. Glass breaks right next to my head, which was kind of a shock to me. And then immediately I've got that 50,000-volt taser flowing through me. And the way these tasers work is basically the taser shoots out two little metal projectiles that mm-hmm. kind of have a fish hook on the end of them right. that basically implant into your flesh. And then basically the officer can pull the trigger as many times as he wants to keep the electricity flowing. He can hold it down for as long as he wants. So when he shot me with this taser, he kept extending the length of the tasing. Now, what you see in the video is 11 seconds, but it went on longer than that. That's where the camera cuts out because when the baton hit the window – the camera went flying from the dash, and when it when it hit the, the ground, it basically began to shut down. Now, when I've seen so these taser, taser, taser videos, 
I'll, I'll see a guy like a big burly marine kind of guy, a wrestler, and they'll hit him, and within a second he's on the ground in agony. Absolutely. And, and you're saying they're just con- they're continuing to pump this into you, although you're offering no threat. You're you're almost virtually in a fetal position. The, the way I hear you describe well, it. Exactly. And, and and here's the thing. When you get hit with the taser, like you were talking about those videos that you've seen, right. it paralyzes you. That's the that's how it works. It puts you in excruciating pain from the 50,000 volts that's flowing through you. But not only that, it paralyzes you. That's why you'll see these, these demonstration videos where, like you said, a big burly guy will get hit with the thing. The reason he's on the ground in one second is because his, he can't control his legs. I mean, he's, right. he's paralyzed. So that's why he drops like that. So I'm paralyzed by this thing, and I'm in excruciating pain. And and worse than that, I didn't know what was happening. It took me a few seconds to realize, is this a taser? So I'm just in shock and extreme pain, just wondering what's happening. Well, there I am just sitting there, just couldn't even hardly scream. I mean, trying to scream, but couldn't even hardly scream because this thing, you know, gets your central nervous system and you're paralyzed. Well, all of a sudden, a hand comes from the left and grabs my head and shoves it into the broken glass that's remaining in my driver's side door. And if you've seen the pictures on the Internet of of my face, you'll see that all the wounds are just in one part of my head, kind of in a straight Mm -hmm. line. That's the exact shape of that door frame because this this, uh, agent's hand shoved my head into the broken glass while I was just basically paralyzed and electrified, he just slammed my head into that broken glass. I don't know why. There's also a picture on the Internet, and, uh, for example, it's on my wife's blog. It's on some of the media websites. You can see a picture of that jaggedy glass edge, and one portion of it is drenched in blood. Mm-hmm. And that's the portion where my head was, was slammed into it. And then it was mm-hmm. kind of just held there. He held my head there for quite a while just while that glass was shoving into my brow. So I was held in that position for a little while, and then next thing you know, the door swings open, and I'm rolled out on the ground, and the electricity is just not stopping. I mean, I just they just kept on tasing me. Now, let me give you some information that I just got literally an hour ago, okay? okay. I just checked the mailbox, and I just got this information because I didn't know exactly how long I was tased because I didn't really – have a good concept of time, obviously. When you're yeah. in that kind of pain, yeah, it seems like a really tasers. long time. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and just just think about what it's like to be electrified with 50,000 volts and then just count one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three. You know, it's a, it's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Well, I looked at the report and what they're claiming, they're claiming that the duration of the tasing in this, in this report that the DPS is putting out, they're claiming that the that they tased me once for 13 seconds straight, okay? And then immediately, like, there was there was really no break between, you know, it broke just for a half a second. I, I couldn't really perceive a break. I believe it was, it says 13 seconds and then 7 seconds hmm. was the report that I read. Okay. So, basically, we're talking about, you know, 20 seconds of being just electrified nonstop. And during that 20 seconds... You know, my head slammed into broken glass, then I'm thrown on the ground, an agent steps on my head. And if you want to get a, a sense of the time frame, you can watch on the YouTube video that surveillance video, which is mm-hmm. kind of a poor view that they gave us. That's all they gave us, but it's, it's basically the action is blocked by the car, so it's hard to see what's going on in that surveillance tape. 
But in that surveillance stage, you can get an idea from the first or second swing of the baton. That's where I started being tased. And then my head was slammed into the broken glass very shortly thereafter. And then you can kind of count off some seconds, see when the door swings open, I'm rolled onto the ground, stepped on, and so forth. So this was a prolonged agony of just being electrified, being slammed in broken glass, being stepped on. And the whole time, I was just wondering, why are they doing this to me? What do I have to do to get them to stop? I was thinking to myself, I'm not resisting. I'm not fighting back. Why is he still tasing me? Why are they still, you know, shoving me into this glass? And I, whatever they wanted me to do, I was ready to do it. I mean, finally, I stopped screaming because I thought to myself, maybe they want me to be silent. Maybe that's right. what they're waiting for. So then I went silent because the, the thing that kept going through my mind is, what do I have to do to get them to stop torturing me? Right. And it's torture. I mean, when they demonstrate these tasers, they do it for a few seconds. You know, you see the guy's head, he's in a few seconds of excruciating pain. But they don't, they don't do it for 20 seconds in the demonstration. Because 20, 20 seconds of this thing is pretty bad. And then when you combine that with being shoved in broken glass, I mean, it's, it's the worst pain that I've ever experienced. I've, I've been in some accidents and I've, I've been through some pain in my life, but this was the most extreme pain that I've felt, just the combination of, of what was going on for these, you know, 30, 40 seconds of the whole ordeal. We're back here at Future Quake with Dr. Future and Tom Hosea 8-4 Bionic. Okay. Two consistent middle Tom names. Tom Hosea 8-4 Bionic. I'm assuming this is something significant that you're reading. Tom Hosea 8-4 Bionic. Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope this captivated your attention, this first installment of the interview. Um, we still have more to go on this harrowing encounter he's had. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare delivered to you by your, style, baby. by your local federal government. Uh, and I'm afraid this is a foretelling of what the yeah. future holds. Break out the Soma. And, uh, well, Break I wish it was just that. Yeah. Um, they're they're going to make you spill some blood yeah. and feel some pain. Well, speaking of if that, you we have any go questions. To Merv. Yeah. Well, okay, we need to go to Merv. Merv, uh, tell our listeners how they can contact us here at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Thanks for catching that yeah. one. It's getting late. I'm here, man. Let's okay. Get out of here. we got to go. Come back for tomorrow's thrilling conclusion. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Hosea 84 Bionic. Okay. And also Mr. Consistent Middle Name this week. This week. Only. Again, I'm suspecting this is something insignificant. Gee. It's probably not, one of, it's not one of the begat verses, I'm guessing. No, it is not. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you are captivated by the 
first installment of our interview with Stephen Anderson, who is the pastor of Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona, about his absolute ordeal with the Border Patrol Mm -hmm. uh, over a stop that was nowhere near the border, had nothing to do with a border crossing. He had committed no crime, was not suspected of committing a crime, Mm -hmm. but endured and actually did it to prove a point. By yeah. principle, this is the he, now, he was he wasn't trying to goad anybody. No, but on principle, he he stood for liberty because he knows the only choice would be to give it away. You Christians out there in the listening audience, this may be one of the most important shows that you listen to, maybe all week or all month or all year, you or need, more. Yeah, you need to listen to this or more. It may change the destiny of how you live your life. Yes, and put it that way. And we're not talking about self help. Junk. No, this is we're talking about something real and meaningful, yeah. and uh, we suggest you pass it on. But we really need to bring Pastor Anderson in. So, with no further ado, here's Stephen Anderson, pastor of Faithful Word Baptist Church. We'll be right back to discuss uh, his incredible testimony here on Future Quake. What happened from that point on to the to the point where you're able to get away from these people? Well, finally, you know, the electricity stopped. Okay, and then I was still stepped on and. You know, they I, they take their boot off my head, and I hear a chorus of Border Patrol voices saying, Get up, get up, stand up, stand up. And they basically, you know, I staggered to my feet with their help. They tucked me behind my back, and they led me away into the, tra- into, the, into the trailer. You know, I had blood gushing out of my head from the wounds that I received from the door frame. And by the way, before I forget one other thing, in the DPS officer's official report, he also stated that he heard a Border Patrol agent yell to him, tase him again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. Which, I mean, what was the point of that? I was not fighting back. I wasn't resisting. I wasn't doing anything. And that, that's what, that was his testimony, the DPS officer. Okay. Tase him again. And that's why he, you know, lit up that other seven seconds first. Oh. So here I am. They lead me into the trailer. They set me down in like an office chair, and they administer first, administer first aid on my head just to stop the profuse bleeding. So they clean me up a little bit. They wrap my head in a bandage and just let me sit in there. And, you know, I sat in there for about 30 to 40 minutes while they searched my car. And guess what they found in my car? Nothing. Nothing illegal. <laughs> Nothing illegal. Of course not. I'm yeah. shocked they didn't so plant. I'm you're shocked not going to believe this. I'm su- surprised they didn't plant something in there. Yeah, well, thank, thank God that they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... There was no body. There was there were no drugs in my car, and uh, I know that people have stated that it was a rental car, but it was not a rental car. This is my personal vehicle, and I bu- I bought it new off the lot, so no one's ever owned this car besides me. Right. You know, this is my car. So I'm sitting in there, and uh, these border patrol agents were razzing me, making fun of me, laughing at me, and saying things like, "Oh, you're not so tough now, are you? You didn't think we were going to search you, but it looks like we won and you lost." Those are some of the, you know, exact uh-huh. things that they said. Sure. And they said stuff like, oh, I bet you're not going to put this on YouTube because you lost this time. Oh, I'm really disappointed. I thought I was going to get to be on YouTube tonight, but there's no way you're going to put this on because you lost this time. We, we won the battle this time. So did they so know? I guess you proved your point. Did What's they that? know that you had had run-ins like this before as far as not just Yeah, it sounds like they knew who you were. Had, you think word I, you had know, gotten out to about To be honest you? with you, though, it, it does seem that way, but, but to be honest with you, I don't think that they did. I think they just mm. ascertained that if I'm filming it, yeah, yeah, that I was yeah, gonna, yeah. you know, upload it to the internet. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they did, but they never said anything to me like they recognized me or anything like that. You're, you're one of them smart so fellows. Yeah, you're one of them smart boys that knows what they're doing. Closable thumbs, you can work the camera. Yeah. 
that made him a threat to you. Okay, so they got you in there. What happens there as far as they, they process more paperwork? Do you get to talk to an attorney? Anything between that and Well, what happened was I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in there, and they're razzing me. And a few times I just told them, can you just leave me alone? I said, you know, just quit bugging me, leave me alone, because they just kept razzing me. And, they, you know, I was a little bit shook up from the whole thing. So I'm just sitting there, handcuffed behind my back. Finally, the DPS officer comes in and sits down. And, and by the way, nobody ever said, oh, we're sorry. Or of anything, not. of course not. Yeah. Anything like that? No condolence at all. Just it's all my fault. They're right. I'm wrong. That's all I heard. So basically, the officer comes in and he says, "Okay, you know, you have the right to remain silent." He read me my rights and basically told me that I was under arrest and this and that. So then they put me in the back of the uh, squad car and drove me 75 miles away from my house. You know the opposite direction, back toward Yuma, and they took me to an urgent care center. Well, we get to the urgent care center, and the officer gets out, and I, you know, I was in a lot of pain in my head, and I had to go to the bathroom pretty bad, and I'm in an uncomfortable position, you know, cuffed behind my back in the back of this squad car. Well, you know, he gets out, he's taking his sweet time, he begins to chat with another officer that showed up there and tells him the story, laughs a few times. He finally meanders into the urgent care place. He's in there for a while. He comes out and he says, do you have any insurance? And I told him, I said, I don't have insurance, but I said, I have plenty of money, so I can I can pay for it. You know, don't worry about it. Right. And, he, well, you know, I don't know. It, you know, it might be expensive and stuff. And I said, look, I have the money. Don't worry about it. He, comes, he goes in. He says, well, I'm going to see how much it is. He checked. He says, it's $530. And I said, you know, okay, that's fine. And he said, no, no. He said, I think it's going to be cheaper if I, if I take you to the emergency room. And I said, well, whatever you think. I said, I don't, I don't really care, though. I have the money. He said, no, I think the emergency room will be better. I said, okay. But I said, can you please just let me go to the bathroom, though? Because I said, I really have to go to the bathroom. It, it sounds silly, but, you know, I've been on a road trip for hours and hours. Sure, sure. I've been drinking a lot of water. And then this whole ordeal went on for hours. And then the hour drive. So it had been a really long time. And, you know, when you got to go, you got to go. Sure. And so I was, I was in pain at this point because I'd had to go for so long. He said, no, just, you know, can you wait till we get to the hospital? It's only five minutes away. Just wait. And I mean, I literally, once we got to the hospital, I had to ask him like 10 or 12 times, you know, can you please get me to a bathroom? I'm in a lot of pain. And by the time he got me out of the car and took me up into the building, I was, I was literally having trouble walking just because my kidneys were hurting from having to go to the bathroom. Well, you know, they take me into the emergency room. I told them when I got there, I said, you know, I said, I only want the minimum treatment. You know, if, if I don't need stitches, don't give me stitches. It's whatever the minimum treatment is. And I, and I told them, I said, it's not financial reasons. I said, I just don't like overdoing medicines and stuff like that. Yeah. So I just said, just give me the minimum. And I even told the doctor, said, well, you know, let's x-ray your head. Let's do this. I said, you know what? I said, I don't need my head x-rayed. Just give me the minimum. And he said, well, why? I said, it's not the money. I said, I just don't think it's safe to have a bunch of x-rays ran through my head unnecessarily. So he said, yeah, you're, he's like, yeah, I can live with that. That's fine. So, you know, they, they basically took off my bandage. They they decided that I needed 11 stitches in three different places. And then they, they cleaned me up the best they could. They put in the stitches. And, you know, what's funny is I got the bill from the hospital, and it was, you know, $2,200. And, you know, I can't understand why the officer – told me I'm going to take you to the emergency mm -hmm. room because it's going to be cheaper when I yeah. told him that the money didn't matter. 
Yeah. You know, he claimed in his report that when I heard the price, I said no, which is, a, which is not yeah. what happened. Yeah. Why is he telling me the emergency room is going to be cheaper when it costs four times as much? I, I, I still don't understand if he was just trying to play a trick on me or, or what his motive was mm-hmm. with that. But anyway, your guess is as good as mine on that. Okay. So, uh, but anyway, you've got your treatment. Now, what, what transpires? Did they finally let go of you? Well, you know, they, they scrubbed my face and, and got me cleaned up the best they could. And then they basically took me down to the highway patrol station and filled out a bunch of paperwork while I sat there. I asked them, I said, can I please call my wife and let her know what's going on? I called her. Told her I was in jail, told her I'd have to call her tomorrow once I figured out what was going on. And they took a few photos of me. Then he, the, the officer then put me in the squad car again and took me down to the Yuma County Jail. You know, they checked me into the jail. And by the time I got into my jail cell, it was 4 a.m. And the windows broke at about 1045. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was five hours and 15 minutes approximately from the time that I was arrested to the time I was put into the cell. You know, I spent the night in jail, uh, woke up in the morning, sat in the cell for hours, not having any concept of time or what was going on or did they when they were going to feed me. Did they tell you what you were charged with? Yes, they did. At, the, at, at this point, they told me what I was charged with. Uh, I forget at what point, actually. But they said I was being charged with failure to obey the officer's order, and I was being charged with obstructing a public highway, which is really a joke since I'm the one who kept asking to leave. Mm-hmm. But because I didn't cooperate with their search, according to them, it was me that was obstructing the highway. Mm-hmm. When about- it's not even a highway. I was on an off-ramp because the way it works is that they veer the traffic off of the freeway through this checkpoint. Sure. Did they offer for and you to I see was, a- And the, the checkpoint had two lanes. So right. I was sitting in one of the lanes standing up for my rights as an American. Yeah. And therefore, according to them, I was obstructing the highway even though I kept asking to leave. Did they offer for you to see an attorney or talk to one, or, and if so, when? Well, they read me the Miranda rights, which said you have the right to an attorney. Just the basic, you, you know, the cliche. You've heard it before, right. but, but they, they didn't really. Okay. They, they didn't, didn't go any further with it than that. Did they give you an opportunity to speak to an attorney during that process? You know, I didn't ask for one. Yeah. Because I was pretty much just being silent. Right. I just remained silent, stayed in my jail cell, etc. And then when I was brought to court the next day around 11.30 a.m., basically they just told me what I was being charged with and told me, come back on Friday. You're not allowed to leave the state of Arizona. If you don't show up on Friday, there will be a warrant for your arrest. And that's all they told me. Mm-hmm. So they did, And it's funny. They didn't even give me the address of where I was supposed to be on Friday. They didn't give me any kind of paperwork showing the charges or where I was supposed to be on Friday. They gave me one folded-up piece of paper when they let me out of jail. Uh, the, the, the order was given to release me at, at that 11.30 conference with the judge. But they said, oh, it'll probably be about another three hours before we let you go. <laughs> so they let me go a little more than two hours after they received the order. Did they give so you your car back? You or whatever. Did they give you your car back and your camera at that time? No, they did not. I still do not have my camera to this day. And I've asked for it repeatedly. They gave me the video footage on a DVD. And mm-hmm. I've been asking them for that camera because it's a $400 camera. Sure. Mm-hmm. And they still haven't given it back. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they're refusing to give me my mm-hmm. camera back. But anyway, when they let me out of jail, they gave me a full, there was a little folded up piece of paper. And they said, 
paper will tell you where your car is. So they send me out of jail with my same clothing covered in blood. So here I am. I'm in the middle of Yuma, Arizona. I don't know anyone in Yuma. They just let me out and just send me out the front door. And I walk out, and I'm covered in blood. My head's covered in blood. And people thought that I was some kind of a psycho killer probably when I was walking down that street. You know, they were walking on the other side of the street from me. It was kind of like the story of the Good Samaritan where <laughs> the guy's in the ditch and everybody's crossing the street to walk on the other side. I'm walking yeah. down the street and people people literally were crossing the other side. And I don't blame them because I was probably a sight to behold. Right. You know, walking down the street. Well, I, I unfolded that piece of paper and you know what it was? Remember, this was the paper that was supposed to tell me where my car was. Mm-hmm. I opened it up. It was a fix-it ticket for a crack in the windshield. Okay. <laughs> that was the paper. And, and I still didn't know where my car was. You mean they're citing you to fix your windshield? Is that, that what they're that saying? That they broke. Well, this is what happened. I had a little, I had a little small crack in my windshield. Mm-hmm. And what happened was when they beat the side windows with the baton, that small crack became a very big crack. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I got a, I got a fix-it ticket to fix that windshield. So I had to research on the internet. I, I was calling my sister trying to get her to research on the internet to figure out where my car was because they didn't tell me at all. And then I had to research and figure out where the court was that I was supposed to go to. Well, my wife came and picked me up in Yuma. And, you know, we, we grabbed a quick bite to eat. I couldn't really eat much because I, was, I didn't really have much appetite. But we drove back to Phoenix. And before I even got to my house, we stopped at the church building. And I said, you know what, honey? I said, I want to record a video where I just describe what happened while it's fresh in my mind. Yeah. And my first impression, I wasn't even planning when I first filmed it. I wasn't sure if I was going to put it on the Internet or just take it to a lawyer or what. But I just said, I want to record this video right now while it's fresh in my mind before I forget any details. And so I recorded that video that, that you, you've probably seen on YouTube. I tell the story, the eight-minute video. And then, you know, from there I went back to my house. I, I, I cleaned myself up, put a suit on, and came back and preached uh, my Wednesday night church service. About an hour later, after I recorded that video. Wow! With, so, with a little bit of a story to tell your yeah. uh, your congregants there, uh, right? And well. they were obviously a little surprised to come to church and see their pastor with a, a you know bloody head wound. Well, boy, that's that's, wow. that's I, I don't know how to uh, how how to top that. But we're we're going to uh, look at some of the ramifications of the story you just shared with us. But l- l- let me ask you. Oh, well, first of all. Um, did you get a chance to appear on Judge Napolitano's show? Yes, I did. I I, I appeared via telephone on on Freedom Watch on his regular show. Yes, sir. Did, yes, I did. What what he you know he's a superior court judge. If anybody should know what your rights under the law are, he would. What 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 did he tell you about whether you were proper in exercise of your rights? Did he have any comments on that? Yes, he, he was definitely on my side. You know, believing that the Fourth Amendment should protect me from this kind of a search. So yeah, he was he was definitely supportive and on my side. And and like you said, he knows the law. And you know, there are all kinds of laws, and there are all kinds of Supreme Court decisions. But you know, none of those laws and none of those Supreme Court decisions change what the Constitution actually says. Mm-hmm. And that Constitution says that probable cause and warrants are upon you know oath or affirmation. And, and, you know, a dog, a dog that, you know, barks or lifts its leg or whatever is not probable cause to search me. Mm-hmm. And not only that, why did they search me with a the dog? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Why am I even being stopped? I mean, these are the questions we should actually be answering. And people keep saying, oh, the Supreme Court has uh, upheld these checkpoints, so you're wrong. But wait a minute. The Supreme Court upholds abortion. That's right. The Supreme Court up- upholds a lot of ungodly things and things that are that are wrong. And so to sit there and say that the Supreme Court cannot make a mistake is ludicrous. And thereby because def- the Supreme Court has institutionalized infanticide in this country with Roe versus Wade. By and then that, that right. same Supreme Court three years later says, oh yeah, you can stop people and make them show their papers. But yeah. that's not even really what the decision says. I mean, the decision basically gives them the right to just very quickly stop you and they have to have you know, something that's making them suspect right. that you're violating immigration laws in order to take it any further. Right. Well, and and by definition, when, when they uh, either uh, appoint or uphold laws that are against the Constitution, they are by definition unlawful. Uh, just because a, right. a law is passed, and even if a court has an opinion on it, it, as you say, if it's counter to the Constitution, by the law of the land, as I understand it, it is unlawful. Uh, they they can exactly. write them all day, but they're still uh, unlawful by their definition. Gosh, that seems to to fall under what Hosea eight four, where the Lord said, "Some of these, some of those leaders, I have not appointed." Maybe. Right, <laughs> and 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 see that there's so many things here. I mean, number one, the Supreme Court is not the final judge. God is the final judge. Okay? Absolutely. And there be higher than they, as the Bible says. Well, well, and even, so, even if one doesn't take it to the to the heavenly kingdom, if one just focuses on earthly law, the law of the land is a constitution, as you said. And right. I think you were willing, if someone said, look, the constitution says <clears throat> that you're required to do this, my understanding is you would comply if the constitution said this, as long as it didn't go directly against God laws, like killing someone or an innocent person or something. But uh, the exactly fact is right. that they, exactly. they, couldn't, they couldn't do that. Um, you, you alluded to this a little bit, but could you clarify further on what you think were their motives for why you think they gave you this kind of extensive and extended harassment? Sure. My belief is that if anyone had told them no, they would have done the same thing because these guys just don't like being told no. And I think it becomes a pride issue where they want to be the boss. They want to rule over us like as if we were subject to a king, which we are not in America, thank God. We are free-born American citizens, but they seem to think that it's their job to rule over us which nowhere in the Constitution or in the laws of our land does our government appoint police officers to rule over us as subjects or as their personal slaves. And so we don't have to just obey every single thing that they tell us to do. I mean, if a police officer, for example, a police officer comes over to my house and says, you know, wash my, wash my squad car, that's an order. Right. Yeah, I don't have to obey that. I mean, that, that's, he's out of bounds. Mm-hmm. And not, when he's asking to search me... Right. And when he's asking to search me and interrogate me without a warrant, that is also out of bounds according to the Constitution. So I think that their motive here was just pride of not wanting to be told no. And and, and let me say this, too, and I, I think this is significant. Never in this entire encounter, all the way from when I pulled into that checkpoint to the time that they let me out of jail, did I ever mention that I was a pastor or that I was a Baptist. And here's why. I didn't feel that it was relevant because it shouldn't be only pastors who have the right to, to not be searched without a warrant. 
It should be every American. Right. And so I didn't have to, I shouldn't have to play the pastor card in order to get through that checkpoint. It it would have made the it fact made that it, I'm an American yeah. is enough. It may have Sorry, made it that? easier for you, but it's it it would have compromised the principle that you were trying to stand on to do that. The same thing if you were a constitutional lawyer and said that they probably would have acted a little differently uh, very quickly. Right. But it, but it would not sure. have been a principle that you were standing exactly. on a principle that you were. Uh, you know, it, it, it seemed to me from that story that they were getting some sadistic pleasure over how they were handling you as well, too. You know what? I, I, I'll tell you right now, they definitely got some sadistic pleasure because they laughed and had fun with it. Here I am, bloodied and beaten. You know, they've already abused me. They've already tormented me. And they're still laughing at me, razzing me. These guys had fun with it before, during, and after. And, you know, you can see that the guy who pulled the trigger on the taser smiling in the video. But now, I don't, did you catch that? Mm-hmm. When you watch the video, there's a, there's a smile that crosses his face a few times. And I can tell you that, you know, outside of the video camera, I saw some smiles on those Border Patrol agents right before it happened. You know, and, and after it happened, they were definitely smiling and laughing and having a good time in that trailer. Mm-hmm. Which conveniently we don't have that footage either. Mm-hmm. They chose to give us about four minutes of of edited footage, and that's all that I've seen from all those surveillance cameras combined. Yeah, this sounds like so. the uh, like the footage you see at the end of these police chases, where they got the guy on the ground and his hands behind him, yeah. and they just showed the footage of the guy. The police were kicking the guy in the head yeah, after he's that. laying down flat on too. the ground. Yeah, um, they all like to sort of get in their shot. Yeah, it seems like. Yeah, well. And I, I think that there's something – I think there's just something wicked inside the heart of man that's just part of his sinful nature that man wants to control other people. He wants to rule over – he wants that power. You know, when the Lord says, obviously, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God's the God of freedom. God's the God that says, break every yoke. Let the captives free. Okay. But man says, I want to rule over someone. I want to exert power. There's just something inside the wicked heart of man that wants to step on somebody else's head mm-hmm. because they can. That's right. And I think that's what's going on here. Well, l- let me ask you what happened after all this, after the smoke cleared. Um, what happened? Did you talk to any legal counsel? Did other people get involved? Have you had any rep- representatives? Are they being held accountable in any way? Well, I called I called basically like a legal hotline on Wednesday night just just. Uh, trying to figure out what do I do because I was I was not knowing what to do. This was over my head, and I asked them if it was okay if I posted that video on the internet. They said it's you know it's not going to hurt anything. Then the next day, many people recommended me the same lawyer. Several people were telling me to go with a particular lawyer that he had had experience with these exact type of cases and so forth. So I I had to withdraw four thousand dollars from my account, which thank God I just got paid from a big customer in my in my business account so I, I was able to pull out four thousand dollars cash and um, retain this defense lawyer so that I would not have to go to court on Friday the next day but rather I could just have them do it all on paper and enter my not guilty plea and demand all the evidence and the, the video footage etc mm-hmm so Okay. What about your elected officials? Have you had anyone else, any public interest groups, intervene on your behalf or any other official representatives? Not that I know of. I mean, I I have my defense attorney, and I have confidence in him. So far, he's doing a great job. And I've gotten a lot of moral support from people calling and emailing, and and, uh, people have kicked in to, uh, 
you know, help me pay some of the bills, like the legal and medical bills. Mm-hmm. But no, I, there haven't been any elected officials or anyone that I know of that have taken an interest in this, but I don't know. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom Hosea 8-4 Bionic. Okay. Well, you know, he has shared with us uh, the basics of what he's gone through. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you... I, and I believe his testimony is valid. The yeah, video absolutely. he shot is consistent. Sure. He's a pastor. Mm-hmm. He has no reputation that I know of mm-hmm. for not telling anything but the absolute truth. Well, I can't see... Uh, my guess is that people who are going to stridently disagree with everything that he said are coming from a background of not wanting, uh, similar to people who don't accept the gospel. You know, they don't want to get up and do anything about it. They don't like the the moral implications Mm -hmm. that it has to their life. Well, I'm just shocked that there's Christians out there that aren't outraged by this. And speaking of outrage, uh, Murph can come in and tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Well, it's All right. already the end. It, we man. don't have much time this week. Bye. But, uh, come back tomorrow for the next installment. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Hosea, 8-4 Bionic. And we've got to go quick because yeah. we have a long segment today, our third installment with Stephen Anderson, who is the pastor of Faithful Word Baptist Church, Tempe, Arizona, talking about a personal testimony of citizen repression by the U.S. police state, uh, an abusive situation that uh, he did to expose something on the behalf of all of us. Yeah which I really appreciate He's as a Christian. Awesome. But let's just go right to the interview. Okay, no further ado. Here's uh, Pastor Anderson, and we'll be right back to discuss it on Future Quake. To your knowledge, are they aware of it, your congressmen or your two senators? Are they are they aware at all? You know, I have no idea, to be honest. I don't really have a lot of respect, <laughs> personally, for the for the people that are that are my elected officials. So I don't I don't think I would even waste my time picking up the phone and calling them because they're just complete... You know, left-wing Democrat, and I mean, let's face it, the left-wing Democrats of this country are just, they're for a totalitarian government. I mean, that's why, that's why, you know, they want to raise our taxes to high heaven, and, and you know, the and then the Republicans, you know, they're in on it too. Yeah. They want to search us without a warrant, and, and, and to be honest with you, I can't see a big difference between Barack Obama and George W. Bush. You know, and, 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 and it seems like so many people, they're, they're, they're down on Obama and they ought to be down on Obama because Obama is, is doing all these terrible things. But don't they remember that, that, you know, George W. Bush was doing these same things. You know, Obama had his bailout, you know, the 700 or the $700 billion stimulus, but then Bush had the $700 billion stimulus and, and, 
people in this country need to realize that, you know, both the Republican and the Democrat parties have ceased to represent our best interests in this country. Well, I don't know what you talk I'm shocked to hear him say this. These are revelations to me. I'm just shocked. Well, I want to go to – speak for yourself. I want to go to this guy's church. <laughs> Actually, you're preaching to the choir here, yeah. Pastor Anderson. This is a message that Future Quake has carried for several years here. And uh, you were just someone who, who took some of the, the thoughts that we had about where things are going, and you mm-hmm. personally lived and experienced it, and you stood on principle to expose it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the right. reason why I mentioned about your other elected officials, I, I completely understand uh-huh. where you're coming from on them, but I believe they uh-huh. need to be held accountable. Uh, sure. you, you, you posed a decision for those Border Patrol agents to take, whether they were going to do, act unlawfully or not. And you, you, right. you presented them, and they made their decision. And, and it's up to you. It's, it's your call. It's, it's been your experience to do. But I would say you might want to consider – yeah, in, in a in a very open way, not not in a showy way that people think you're you're putting on your personal spectacle for personal gain, but to actually uh, make it even public in some way to your congressmen and senators to ask them whether they agree with this, whether this is something they support, or if it's something right. they feel like if if there was ever a time that you should have a right to have representation from your elected officials, this is an ideal time, and, and since this event happened within the all within the borders of your state. I think that your uh, uh, even your state senator should be involved if you're not getting satisfaction elsewhere. I know the border right. patrol was involved, but they're still responsible for things that go on in their state. And, and I think to me, this is another opportunity for you to put put the spotlight on them and let them let the public know where they stand. It's sort of like Pontius right. Pilate. You know, Jesus was brought before Pilate. He didn't want to get involved. He wanted to wash his hands, but he he was forced to make a decision. Uh, and, right. and the same with the with the other officials at the time of Jesus Day, and we 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 need to put the spot on these people and make them uh, man up, so to speak, uh, in front of sure. their constituents. So, well, um, and you, know, you you bring up the issue of it, you know, being in the state and and so forth, and if, and if you think about it, the Department of Public Safety is what our Highway Patrol is called. Mm-hmm. Really, when they were called to the scene by the Border Patrol. It's their job to protect me as a citizen of Arizona, okay? That's right. And when they asked for that dog to be brought out and they were told no, you know, they should have stood up for their citizen and said, well, wait a minute. I'm not just going to arrest this guy, you know, for no reason. He's just going home from work. You know, he's not doing anything wrong. He hasn't, he hasn't, he wasn't speeding. He wasn't doing anything. And, you know, if there's some reason why we need to search him, then bring out the dog. But, it seems as if the DPS was not working for the citizens of Arizona. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that they were working for the federal agents, and that's that's not the way it's supposed to be. In the old days, you used to see where uh, these movies where the where the FBI would come into town and they would get resistance from the local authorities and they'd argue over jurisdiction. It seems like that's a thing of the past. Uh, they come in in just a bullying aspect, and in fact, they, I think they almost seduce them. They're willing to offer them to militarize local police units to give them extra equipment and SWAT team type equipment as long as they'll play ball with the feds. And uh, it seems like to me we've lost that kind of protective role that you used to see. Even if you go back and look at an old Andy Griffith show, you'd see these feds come in from out of town. And uh, even Sheriff Taylor would 
would resist them on behalf of the local residents of Mayberry. Now, I know that's a pretend right. show, but that was a culture that existed at the time that that show reflected, and we've we've lost that. But but, but well, I want and it's not even just a it's not even just a culture as much as it's it's a crucial part of our government separation of powers, right. and not just separation between the legislative, executive, and judicial, but a separation between state, federal, and local governments, and that. It's like you said that that separation no longer seems to exist at all. And if you think about it, if the federal agents of the Border Patrol, Department of Homeland Security, really felt that they had a right to search my car, why didn't they break the window and search my car? Why is it mm-hmm. that they had to bring in the Arizona police to do their dirty work with this trumped-up charge, this technicality obstructing the road? If they had the right to search me, then why didn't they search me themselves? Mm-hmm. But they always call in their local, you know, police who is pretty much just their stooge. He'll do whatever they say. Even when he asks to see the dog, they don't show it to him. He's going to obey those federal agents. He doesn't care about his citizen that he's paid to protect. And see, it's my Arizona tax dollars that are paying right. for the DPS. And so I thought that the DPS was, was there to protect citizens of Arizona. That's from, right. from anyone who's, you know, encroaching upon my rights. And, and yet they did not have any interest in protecting me. All they did was when the federal agent said, tase him again, they tased me again. Why didn't he stop and say, well, wait a minute, why does he need to be tased again? He's I, not resisting on the ground. I think that's an excellent point that you're making. And, you know, the thought that's coming through my head, there are a lot of Christians out there that are soft thinkers that aren't really used to having good discernment and thinking they've been fed a diet of uh, sex and TV and nothingness on television and movies and things. And they, Romans 13. They can't think clearly any farther. But but it seems like to me, and they're going to say, well, why did he offer this resistance? Why did he not go along with it? Why did he bring all this on himself? But but what, I'm, what I see what you've done, the best analogy I can give, is the same thing that Rosa Parks did in Civil Rights when she thought there was an injustice in forcing someone because of the color of their skin to sit in the back of the bus. And she basically forced them to expose themselves <laughs> to have to do something to enforce something that was wrong. And she is lauded as a hero in our society right. for starting the civil rights movement by simply being used as a tool at, at her own detriment to be able to expose an injustice that's going on. I don't see what you have done as any different. And I'm taking at face value what you shared with me. And if, and if I can't take it from a pastor, then who can I take it from? So, I mean, what, what you've done is basically exposed something that many, many people have gone through there, been bullied, been belittled, been feared, uh, scared to, to, uh, to, to stand on the rights that they have. And at great personal expense to you and to your own well-being, you've exposed this. And I, I've got to wonder, what, what had been the response from general individuals that have contacted you uh, I'm not talking about state officials or anything like that, but just average individuals that have contacted you or your family. What kind of feedback you've gotten as far as their support or lack of support for you? Well, I'll say this. For every 20 positive emails I get, I get one negative. So it's mm-hmm. been an overwhelming support of people saying that they believe in what I was standing for, that they're on my side, that, that they think that these agents and these officials are way out of control, now, but the sad thing is that most of the people who've had something negative to say, and like I said, I hope, when I open my email inbox, it's, it's 90% positive. Right. Mm-hmm. But 
the negatives have been coming from people who claim to be Christians, okay? And, I, and I'm sure that many of them are good Christians, but they're misguided. And I, I'm telling you, most of the dissent has been coming either from law enforcement officers themselves. Of course, they're going to write me a, a negative email. But, I mean, I am constantly getting Christians who are telling me that I was wrong because I should obey these rulers, you know, according yeah. to Romans 13. But to me, it's bizarre that anyone would classify a police officer as a ruler. I mean, I don't, I don't think that the police officer is considered by any reasonable person to be either a magistrate or a ruler. They're not a ruler. I mean, a ruler, a king or a judge, you know, a magistrate, a governor, and then they'll, they'll try to take these verses and say that you must obey anything that this police officer says, when in reality, we live in a free country. And we live in a country where, thank God, public officials are not above the law. The law reigns supreme. I mean, even the Constitution has long sections devoted to, you know, impeaching even the President of the United States if he violates the law. And let me, so let me ask you I this. was obeying the right. highest law in the land. I was being subject to the higher powers in this country because we are a country of laws, and I was obeying the highest law in the land, the Constitution, and standing up for that law, protecting and defending that law against people who were trampling upon it. Yes, they were police officers, but they were trampling upon my rights. They were way out of bounds. And so telling me obey the king, you know, we don't have a king, number one, and, and I don't know where these people were in 1776 because we haven't had a king since then. And we live in a country where we're born free, thank God. Uh, Pastor Anderson, and I think that the, yes? we, we've wrestled with this on our show. Well, I wouldn't say wrestled so much because it seems relatively straightforward to us. The passage talks about obeying governing authorities. And, and our understanding is the governing authority in our land is the Constitution. Everyone else is accountable to the Constitution. Uh, people who sit in offices come and go. Uh, we've, we've, we've shown even as high as a president, when they don't obey the law of the Constitution, they're thrown out. They have no legitimacy as uh, one who is an executive to enact the authority when they don't obey it. Uh, so the point that, that you're making, we've, we've even talked with, uh, I don't know if you've talked to Pastor Chuck Baldwin, uh, pastor of a no, Baptist church in Pensacola, ran on the Constitution Party. Uh, I think he would really like to hear your story. I think this would be very yeah. important to him. Yeah, he's well, been by the our... way, I did I did vote for him though. Well, he, he's been on our election. he's been on our show a number of times, and we talked about this issue in Romans chapter thirteen, and he agreed with us that the in our land, the authority that's the final governing authority that that should apply to that scripture is the Constitution, uh, and as long as it doesn't break. Uh, God's law, as far as you know, murder or, or or taking up another god or something like that, the uh, the Constitution is the official law of the land. And if we support crooked crop, uh, cops or crooked politicians, those who who disobey it, they are actually unlawful officials, and we are aiding and abetting unlawfulness when we support right, them. Right, exactly. So in a sense, and, we and have a duty. We have a duty to resist unlawfulness the way that we understand it. Well, that's what Thomas Jefferson said when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, that it was our duty to stand up against tyranny and, and against abuse of power. But the uh, another point that I'd like to make is that a lot of people don't really understand why this is such a big deal. 
and when I say this, I mean the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment. And they may not travel as much, and they, they may not be confronted with this as often as I have. I've had police want to search me for no reason many times. You say, well, why does it always happen to you? Because I travel so much. As a business traveler, you're going to end up going through these checkpoints hundreds of times. Just the law of averages, you're going to have problems eventually if you stand upon your rights. But what I'd like to emphasize to Christians who do not think that the Fourth and Fifth Amendment are that important, I'd like to say to them, if the Fourth Amendment no longer matters in this country, and I heard Obama recently call them our constitutional traditions, and, you know, they're not traditions. They're the law of the land. Yeah. They're not constitutional traditions. They're laws. Because he said, oh, well, you know, we want to be in keeping with these uh, constitutional traditions. Okay, no, it's the law of the land. And what I'd like to emphasize to Christians is that if the Fourth and Fifth Amendment can be violated, who's to stop them from next violating the First Amendment, which is what I'm sure that they would agree is important, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, or other people are, are very zealous about protecting the Second Amendment. But the point of the matter is that Different amendments are more important to different people. Different freedoms are more important to me maybe than you or vice versa. But the bottom line is the whole Bill of Rights has to be taken in sum and total that these are our rights as Americans, and if they can violate one, they can violate two, and they can violate them all. Well, would, would, you, so, would you also agree that we also have to defend our fellow citizens even when – they tend to do things we don't like or we may not want to endorse, things that may even be counter to our, our Christian values that we voluntarily accept when we take on the yoke of Christ. Do we also have to be looking out for them as well to protect their interest as well? So so Absolutely. we in turn will have moral authority for our own? I would say I would say yes to that. Now obviously there there are certain things that, you know, are, are wicked and evil. Obviously I'm not gonna stand up for somebody's right to do something that's abominable or that's violating someone else. But, yes, I would stand up. For example, I, I believe that drinking alcohol is wrong. I don't drink any alcohol, okay? I believe it's a sin, according to the Bible. Mm -hmm. But I do not believe, and, and this may surprise you or may not, I do not believe that drinking alcohol should be illegal. You know, pro, you know, prohibition once existed in this country. But I've read the Bible cover to cover many, many times, and I've never seen a law in God's law where he made drinking alcohol illegal. But he definitely says it's sinful. He says, you know, your mouth is going to utter perverse things. You're going to behold strange women. You're going to, and he, and he warns us and, and condemns alcohol. But at the same time, if there were a vote in this country right now to make alcohol illegal, I would say no to making alcohol illegal because in God's law, and the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect, it was not against the law. It well, was condemned. It was preached against. Right. But, you know, God, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, and he told them not to touch it. Well, you know, those, so, those moral choices that we make, when, when they pass laws like that, I, I'm finally starting to realize that it never really eliminates immoral activity. It drives it into the shadows and underground. Right. And in terms of God's eyes of looking at our country, if we're doing these things out in the open or if we're doing them you know, behind the door or underground or even in our own homes, it doesn't make us any more moral that we have a law of the books if, as a country as a whole, we're still doing immoral things. That tells me right. that civil authorities are not the best source to deal with general morality issues. The church is. The church is supposed to be out preaching the word, leading by example, 
praying, asking for the Holy Spirit to work in their communities. Where real moral change in the heart of people, where they give up these immoral activities, not only because a law says it, but because they've been convicted in their heart that it's wrong, that they don't even want to do it in secret, away right. from the law. Uh, whenever we pass these laws to try to have virtuous moral things occur that, that were meant with good intentions, they've always just added a criminal element to the same kind of immoral behavior. And, and, and the frustrating thing is he's just, you know, you're, you're hesitant with your background in, in a Baptist, and I can appreciate that from my background, uh, saying what you just said regarding alcohol. What happens is it puts us in an awkward spot with our fellow believers who immediately start questioning our motives when we stand for freedom. Right. And they don't realize how critical right. it is. If uh, I would recommend, if any of our listeners have not read this book, uh, uh, Pastor Chuck Bowen recommends it called Hitler's Cross mm. by Dr. Erwin Lutzer, uh, pastor of Moody Church, about what the evangelical church did during the rise of, the, uh, of Hitler and the Nazi party and how complicit the evangelical church was because they would not stand strong in agreement and be their brother's keeper for the rest of the citizens. They did not look right. out, and they let everyone else get drug off because they said, it's not my business, keep my nose clean, I'm not supposed to cause a problem with authorities. And so they let all of these people get drug off and, and, and put in concentration camps and kill them until they finally came for them. And I have to think that, that we are going to be accountable before our Lord and Savior that we did not take a brave stand to look after these people who have been exploited. Uh, there are other people who would have come to those checkpoints along with you that probably happen all the time, that are that are kowtowed, that are that are uh, abused, misused, and this may just be the beginning. It may be getting worse in the future. Do you believe that Christians should be the people that should stand up as a representative in society, even in civil society, people outside the body of Christ, that we should be the ones Absolutely. that have enough trust in our Lord? that we can take a stand at great risk and believe the Lord will vindicate when we take righteous stands to defend the innocent in our society. Absolutely. And, and you know, someone said to me uh, recently, he said, well, you know, you weren't called to, you know, fight for liberty in America. You were called to preach the gospel and get people saved. And, you know, I haven't let this take my emphasis off of what it should be. I'm still, you know, the emphasis of my life is still preaching the gospel, getting people saved, being a pastor. But my answer to the man who said that was this. I said, no, God has called me to do what's right in every area of life. You know, whether it be Amen. political, whether it be religious, whether it be the family. I'm not just going to say, well, this is the only thing God has called me to do. God wants me to do what's right in all areas of life. And I cannot understand how Christians can read the Bible and walk away with any other feeling than that God is the God of freedom and liberty. And I think that the problem with people's political views in America today that are Christians is that they're not letting the Bible shape their political views. They are letting the Republican Party shape their political political views. And what they ought to do, they ought to open the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy, read through God's plan for government, and say, hey, wait a minute, how can we apply this today? But instead, they're... they're forming their opinions on politics outside of God's laws. When God had the perfect laws, the perfect setup, and, and if you look at that governmental structure from the book of Deuteronomy, that was a free society. That was liberty. That was a, a glorious mm -hmm. government. But, but, but today, average Christian would say, oh, man, let's, let's uh, you know, make alcohol illegal just for that example. Okay. 
when you cannot find that in God's law. Now, again, I've never drunk in my life. I mean, I don't even know what beer tastes like, so no one can really accuse me of, of, of promoting alcohol. I preach very hard against alcohol. I've seen the effects of alcohol. I've read about the effects. I think it's terrible. But at the same time, we can't have an authoritarian government that is standing over us telling us what is right and what is wrong and, and us from doing anything wrong. And, and, if, and if you want to know where to draw the line, the Bible will show us where to draw the line. You know, when it comes to, when it comes to moral issues, there are some moral issues that God included in a political, you know, civic law. Like, for example, laws against murder. There should be a law against abortion because that's murder. There should be laws against stealing. There should be laws against all the things that God had laws against. But but we shouldn't have this gigantic, monstrous government that we have today that's putting us into a bondage of high taxes and having every phase of life dictated to us by the government. Well, and, and I just want to make sure our, our listeners, particularly any of those who may have stumbled into our show that aren't Christians, to listen that, that and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Pastor, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but we're not saying that Christians have to take over the government and make the government to be like the church. Uh, the Lord, the, 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 the kingdoms of this world are always going to be Satan's. Uh, he's going to have control over them. Our kingdom is in heaven. One day the Lord will return and establish his kingdom. We don't have to force and use the coercion of the government to force and make everybody be Christians. But we do understand what it means by law in being your brother's keeper and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that means that we have to look after every fellow citizen in our communities and across the country to make sure they're treated the way we would want ourselves or our families to be treated and look after the weak and defenseless. And I, I would also challenge uh, people who, who, who would say who told you that, hey, you're being distracted from the gospel here. That if you look at the lives of the apostles when they left after Jesus went into heaven, many times when they went into communities around the world, they preached the gospel, but they also pointed out terrible evils that were going on in the areas where they were, were called to minister in the far parts of the world, and they often lost their lives because of the evil that was pointed out, even people exploiting other people. When you look at the, uh, the, the Christian who jumped into the arena, when the arena in, in Rome and the Colosseum were just slaughtering all of these people. And, and he said, enough's enough. What's wrong with you people? You're just slaughtering these people for entertainment. And they killed him right on the spot there. And you know what? There never was another one of those battles after they killed him. You can read it right in Fox's Book of Martyrs. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom Hosea 8-4 Bionic. Okay. I think I've heard that before. Maybe. Um, we, we, we moved on from the narrative of his experience into the significance of it. Yes. And I think the second biggest thing after the shock of what he shared with us is the fact that the biggest heat he's gotten is from other Christians. Sure. Well, it's that misguided thing that Pastor Mansfield was talking about a couple of weeks ago with the idea that, uh, you know, you've got to obey authorities at, ev at every given point. Well, that's just not in the Bible, folks. You're supposed to uphold the needy, the downtrodden, the people who are a mess. You're supposed to sacrifice for others that are less fortunate mm -hmm. than you. That's the whole thing. That's certainly what Jesus did. I think that's the testimony of the apostles that we hear of their life. Yeah. Well, and speaking of testimonies. Yeah. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information.
Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Yeah, you're right. It's into the end of the road. Oh, man, bummer. Last installment tomorrow. Be sure and catch it. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Hosea 84. Bionic. Okay. I just wanted to get that in there. I, sorry, I put the pause I hope in our listeners have read Hosea 84 and yeah. give a. Really, the whole chapter of Hosea would be cool. You know, that whole chapter 8 of Hosea. But, you know, I mean, today's Christians, they don't really open up their Bible. And, you know, it's just like a. Well, that's true. Yeah. It's almost dust unless the pastor's coming over. Well, I guess we've, we've got. Uh, very little time, and we need to give okay. some commentary. Uh, this is the last installment with Pastor Anderson. This is a uh, a narrative, I think, that should shake people. Do you think it will actually get people off the couch? I don't think there's any way that people are getting off the couch. I see complete apathy. It's like... Is there like a crane should get installed? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, should we go out and should we go out and like live out you know those finer points of the gospel, which really mm-hmm. aren't that finer fine of a point, or should we watch Friends? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like watching Friends, and there are oh. some barbecue potato chips on the table. So. If you have to, ladies and gentlemen, I would get mm-hmm. one of those chairs that actually lift you up out of the chair. Barbecue potato chips. Okay, <laughs> we need to go to Pastor Anderson, who we so are grateful that he was on. Yes, uh, Pastor of Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona, sharing a personal testimony of citizen repression by the U.S. police state. Uh, it's something that I think you'll never forget, the narrative, if you fully mm-hmm. comprehend what he shared with us. So no further ado, here's Pastor Anderson, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. And we have examples and testimony of believers who stood up, and, and even in more recent days, about the issue of slavery. Do, do we look in hindsight and say that it was wrong for Christians to say that slavery was wrong? To say that exploiting other people that were created in God's image and treating them like human beings that it was a waste of time or distraction from the gospel. It's what I call living out the gospel. And it's, it's not exactly. a liberation theology. This has nothing to do with Marxism or communism or trying to take over the government. It's being decent. It's looking out for the weak right. in your community and applying the laws that are on the books, not doing unlawful activity. It doesn't sound like you did a single unlawful thing. In, in what's your response was? You didn't pose I don't, any I don't threat? Believe that, I don't believe that I did. You didn't pose a threat to anybody? Uh, all you did is you asked to exercise the rights that you under, already understood you had. Uh, so I, I don't see this argument. Uh, to me, what it does is it helps make the church more effective in preaching the gospel. If, if I can take an unbeliever who's already become jaded toward, toward the church, you know, they don't get jaded so much toward Jesus, but they do to the church. You know, the way we crawl up in our ivory tower churches and we say, well, good luck for the rest of you all. We're, we're in this for ourselves. And then we go out and wonder why we don't get more people saved door to door. 
and you're going out there and say, we're trying to look after for you and your families to take care of you, they're much more receptive to take the word of eternal life that you have to share with them. Much like Jesus going out and feeding the people that were starving and they had need. And he told the apostles, he said, go out there and feed them. You know, he could have said, well, no, exactly. they, need to, they need to forget their hunger. We need just to tell them more about the kingdom of heaven. You know, he says, no, these people are hungry. They need to be fed. I expect you to go feed them. The, the widows in your community in the book of Acts, they, they're being neglected. You need to take action that they need to be looked after. It's important as your teaching that's going on. So, Absolutely. Uh, I'm sorry, but th- this is just an important point, and, I, and I'm just so thankful that you were willing, you and your family were willing to take a sacrifice to, to, to go through all this kind of abuse to, to help expose what's going on. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's, there's more of this that's coming. You know, when, when you talked about, uh, you know, we asked the motives why you were pulled over. I don't know if you had a Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker or anything like that. But according to the Department of Homeland Security, if you do, then yeah, you have reason to be targeted as a potential terrorist. Because it says in their document that people who believe in prophecy and end times prophecy are, are people who are a danger to our government and need to be monitored. So... What are Christians going to do? They're going to wait till somebody bangs on their door and takes their children out of their bedroom before they do it? Are they then just it's going, going to be too late. Are they going to allow the, quote, yeah. less desirables of our society to be hauled off? Well, they're not good standing people in the community. Mm-hmm. Their rights don't matter as much. Well, just go look at the folks in Nazi Germany and see how well that worked. Uh, they they right. hoped that they would they would come to their senses. These government figures would stop, that they wouldn't have a lust for power. They would continue to grow, and they would stop on their own. Uh, what kind of advice can you give to our listeners, given that you've shown by example uh, what what to what to do, just to defend as a private individual? But that's just the beginning. There's so much work that needs to be done. What do you recommend that that our listeners do as in their families and as groups to 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 well, show up, to actually show up as the church? and to try to be salt and light to our communities in this growing threat? Well, you know, we definitely need to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, I agree that the spiritual is the most important, the gospel, the Bible, church, preaching are the priority. But let's face it, the Bible talks about these type of issues. And so I want to – let me amen everything that you said. I'm not saying Christians should run the government. I'm saying that when we – and you ask, what can we do when we go to that voting booth, we need to let the Bible's principles guide us in our yeah. decisions, okay? And, and don't tell me that the Bible does not apply because, you know, the Bible has all of the answers for every area of our life. And so my advice to the listener, my advice to Christians is to educate yourself with the Bible about what is right and what is wrong, both politically, spiritually, in your family, in every area of life. But not only that, what is our role in this? We need to be educating people in America about what their rights are, because today a lot of people don't even know what their rights are. They don't know what it means to be in a free country. They don't understand the difference between freedom and oppression. And I could start in church with pastors who will take Bible passages and they will preach, you know, principles of freedom and liberty that we can stand on. And, and not every sermon, you know, it shouldn't just take over, but there's a time and a place when you're preaching through the Bible, to preach on some passages, to lift up the ideals of, of freedom and liberty. And so I think it should start with educating people in the churches and educating our friends and, and co-workers on what the Bible says and on what the Constitution says. 
and on, you know, these great freedoms that we enjoy. Because if we don't appreciate them or understand them or if we're not even aware of them, we're going to lose them. And so, again, I think the main thing is is the spiritual, but that's not the only thing in my life. I, I, I have a business. I run a business. I pastor a church. You know, I take these issues of politics seriously. I think that in order to be a balanced Christian, you know, you're going to be a part of your church. You're going to be a part of your business. You're going to be part of your community. You know, you're going to have the whole spectrum of what life has for us mm-hmm. and what God has called us to do. But it is a component of, like you say, living in the freedom of Christ and the security that we have in Jesus Christ, that we not only look after our family, but our neighborhoods and our communities as well, and that we have a sense of courage. It says that perfect love casts out fear. And if we have the love of Christ, that gives us the courage to stand up to evil that is not the light of Christ in our communities. It sounds like to me what we need are some more Christian civil rights attorneys. And yes. pe- people who could stand up outside these checkpoints just, just ahead of them with big signs saying, these are your rights. These are not your rights. You know, he whom the Son set free is free indeed. And I believe a lot of people would have a very positive connotation of the church and the message of liberation they offer when they're fully convinced that we're looking after their best interest. Right. And I think today a lot of people are turned away from Christianity when they see Christians, you know, not believing in freedom and liberty. Many Christians just blindly following whatever the Republican Party says. I think a lot of people are turned away from Christians when it comes to that because, I, I mean, when, when somebody stands up for their rights, when somebody cares about their freedom, that's, gonna, that, that's showing love, and that's going to make them more receptive to the gospel, I think. Well, you know, many Christians try this canard. It's a total distraction that, 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 that we're implying that they go take up guns and go fight the government or go shoot or go do these kind of things when there, there are many, many lawful means – by which to to offer protest, to expose these things, to rally other people, to apply pressure, to make things right and just, that Christians are just simply too lazy to do. They're too comfortable. They have a vested stake in the status quo. And until somebody personally takes it away from them individually, they don't want to rock the boat. Well, and oftentimes you hear those people too. They'll be they'll oftentimes be the one justifying going to a uh, another country and you know. Killing people in the name of <laughs> or, or torturing people. Yeah, well, torturing people. Yeah, right. Much. And, yeah. and when you and when you decide, and, and in fact, I, well, while we're talking controversial here, you brought the subject up. Well, it's interesting it that this is all. That, <laughs> we're having a debate about torture, and I find the voices that are strongest in support of our, our quote our people torturing are people who associate themselves with a Judeo-Christian affiliation and background. Isn't that unbelievable? And they're that, the one, that, 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 that is shocking. That's crazy. They're the it? ones who uh, are so veris, you know, vociferously defending torture. And I tell people, whatever you support like that is going to be experienced by your sons and daughters one day, not necessarily in a foreign land, but in their own country. The standard right. had already been set. The, the morality... The savagery have already been established, and I think you saw a little bit of that at your checkpoint. Uh, I, exactly. I think you're experiencing right where you were uh, a little bit of just a taste. It, and the Bible says this is coming. The Bible says that in the last days, 
uh, the love of many will grow cold. And basically, these men are going to become savages. But heaven help us if we help facilitate the cause because of our own, own laziness. To me, it's a form of complicity. When you see this evil going on, if, if you saw a, a man being lynched and you didn't do something to try to stop it or at least try to go get an official to somebody to stop it, I think people would understand that you're in some way complicit, at least morally in it. And, and I don't see how these uh, the, these situations that are slightly more subtle, like you've been through, are in a form of the same thing. Well, it's not that subtle. <laughs> I, mean, I, I know. I'm saying only slightly <laughs> yeah. more so. You know, yeah. uh, people people um, they'll, they'll find excuses all day. Well, well, if the, if the official didn't like it, then he must have deserved it. Yeah, I had I had one uh, one one person tell me, well, you know, things have been going haywire since day one, and God says that the world's going to go go south. So why should I do anything about it? And, and meanwhile, people suffer. I'm sure many people in <laughs> like Germany. Crazy. You're supposed to stand up for the downtrodden, for the needy, for all of these people who can't fight for themselves. God gives a whole list of stuff that he, you know, he says, blessed are these people. And, and at first, use, I mean, use your lawful means that are available to yeah. you. There, there are means. crazy. There are means of, of focusing, mm -hmm. uh, making your voices heard. I don't know why there isn't a huge stack of Christians outside that checkpoint. Even if they do nothing, you know, people will stand in front of abortion clinics, and I say, more power to you. You do it. Mm -hmm. Even if you're quiet, hold your sign, be there, and just show we're defending those rights. Why aren't they defending other people going through the same kind of thing? Or, or, or have they accepted the, these uh, removal of rights, and, and we've now become, as a body of Christ, complicit in it? Mm -hmm. I shudder to think that we've gotten that far. Do, do you have any advice on what we could do? It's one thing to go in the voting booth and in the privacy of the booth. Make your voice heard. What what else can we do as groups to try to turn the tide and actually show that we have a message of liberty and that we that we will accept our responsibility to our communities? I, any other suggestions you have, Pastor, in that vein? Well, you know, the other suggestion I would have, and and you know, people may not like this, but do the same thing I did. If somebody wants to search you without a warrant, tell them no. Yeah, actually, because, actually you know, you exercise your rights. Yeah. Because you're not, you know, you're not just standing up for yourself. And and somebody told me this. They said, well, if you would have just complied, you would have been out of there in 15 minutes. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If I would have complied, I would have been out of there in 15 minutes. But where does that leave America? Where does that leave the rest of America 10 years from now, 15 years from now, or, or you know, whenever it comes, when when our rights matter even less than they do now? And so someone has to stand up, and there's so many scriptures in the Bible, like you said. God says, open thy mouth for the dumb, and the mm -hmm. cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. And, you know, if somebody's being tortured somewhere without a trial, I care about that. doesn't matter whether they're, you know, a different color than me. If somebody's being tortured without a trial, without due process, you know, that bothers me, whether it's me or not. Because today it's, today it's them, tomorrow it'll be me. Today, Pastor Anderson was beaten at the checkpoint. Tomorrow, it could be you or someone you love. Mm -hmm. That's and right. I think that we need to, as Christians, be the ones who stand up for our rights. You know, Paul stood up for his rights. He, he questioned it. He said, hey, it's not lawful for you to beat me uncondemned because I'm a Roman citizen. All right. And, and yet Christians today have this roll over and die mentality yeah. when, when, when we ought to be standing up for our liberties when the police pull you over and want want to search your, your vehicle, tell them no. Mm -hmm. And if you tell them yes, you're making things worse for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Because when, at, when when 999 people 
tell them yes in that checkpoint. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll pop the trunk, I'll pop the hood, sure, yeah, I'll tell you what I had for breakfast this morning. They're making it worse for the thousandth guy who goes through and says, Fourth Amendment rights. That's exactly You're not going right. to search me. That's exactly so I right. think, it's like you said, if, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Je- like Jesus yeah. said, he that gathereth not, he said, if you're not for me, you're against me. And he said, if you don't gather with me, you're scattering abroad. And it's kind of like if you're not defending our freedoms in America, you are part of the problem when you just blindly will follow people who trample our rights. Mm-hmm. And and you're you know you're you're part of the problem, I think. And when you're going to continually vote for the same people who you know want to institutionalize torture and who want to you know take away our rights, you, you know you're part of the problem. And you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up torture. You know, I feel strongly about that subject, and, and that's another subject that's covered in the Bill of Rights. The Eighth Amendment states that cruel and unusual punishments shall not be inflicted. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. notice it doesn't say upon whom. It just says they will not be inflicted by anyone upon anyone. Mm-hmm. There is no place in America for cruel and unusual punishment. And that, that should be the end of the story right there. And I always say to these, these uh, Republicans who are just so dead bent on torture being institutionalized and, and legalized, I always say the same thing to them. Do you, do you trust our government with, with the finances? <laughs> and yet you're going to trust them to torture people in secret. Right. And you just know that they're only going to torture people that really, you know, quote unquote, need to be tortured. Look what they're doing with the money. Look what they're doing in every other area. And they, you're going to give them that kind of a blank check, please torture people to keep me safe? It's unbelievable to me. When Christians don't step up and address these issues, even though there might be some inconvenience or, or what you've experienced, I, I, I can't but help assume that they would have also had the same response when slavery came up, that they would have been quiet, not want to rock the right. boat. Yeah. People that were non-citizens, well, that's what the government says, could get real messy if I stood up to this. Or if they'd been in Germany and uh, a Jewish family knocked on their door to be hidden, There'd be a lot at risk at stake for them to open up their door and to protect those people. Uh, if the Christians would have spoken up at Crystal Knock when they began to first damage those marketplaces, what could have been done if the church had been unified and led in leadership uh, to have stopped that? How much could have been saved in the world? You know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said um, when, you know, when he was in the gulag and they were wasting away, just wasting their lives away, he says how much we, we could have just, when they had one guy come haul somebody out of their apartment, we could have all addressed that guy directly right there. There were enough of us that could have put a stop to that. But no, we all stayed behind our doors, didn't want to rock the boat, and here we are before long in our own gulag. And there was nothing accomplished, nothing that we could say positive or spiritual about it other than we failed to act. And... That's what your testimony, I think, brings to the to the people here. Uh, we're, we're coming up to the last two minutes or so of our discussion. What do you think we're going to see in the future? And do you think there's any prophetic implications? Uh, we, we have a lot of students of Bible prophecy who listen to our show. Do you think this foretells something that uh, the Bible has comment on for the last days? Absolutely. And I'll tell you what it is. What we're seeing now is the infrastructure developing that's going to be used by the Antichrist. I mean, these checkpoints are here today supposedly 
you know, for border security or immigration control, although this border patrol checkpoint is 50 miles from the border and it's not on any freeway that crosses the border. But, you know, one day, today it's, are you a U.S. citizen? I believe tomorrow it'll be, show me the mark of the beast, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're seeing that infrastructure being put in place. You're seeing people conditioned to get used to having all kinds of checkpoints and all kinds of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things that infringe upon their rights because, you know, one day we, there will be, whether people like it or not, there will be a totalitarian government one day with the Antichrist at its head. And he's going to use all these checkpoints and he's going to use all these tools at his disposal to enforce a reign of terror on anyone who, you know, believes on Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the thing that disturbs me the most, you know, I resign myself to when it says, thus saith the Lord, that these things will happen. But heaven forbid it happen because of the complacency of the Laodicean church. Uh, when, when we have a long, a big, strong, influential church that could stop some of this, and these things come to pass, and if it's found out, it's because our church has been complacent. Heaven help us. You know, Jesus said when he returns, shall he found, find faith on the earth? And that's a question each one of us need to find in our own heart. Will he find faith in us when he returns? Will he find us doing his work? Well, that's one of the things that you've said. The worst thing that can happen is it's all true and we lose, but the the Lord comes back and finds you being faithful to what he said, you know, holding up the needy, mm-hmm. you know, upholding the needy, you know, helping the downtrodden, you know, not right. blaspheming his name by rolling over like a dog. And if you look <laughs> at each of those martyrs in Fox's Book of Martyrs through the ages, I doubt any of them would say, even though we, quote, lost, that yeah. it was a mistake. That we yeah. went in the arena and we tried to protect people and were killed for it. Mm-hmm. Or we uh, defended the Bible and we were burned at the stake for it. None of those people would say it was a loss because they were representing Christ yeah. and they were re- representing his love for people. Would Vitalis, a uh, guy from Fox's Book of Martyrs, would Vitalis say, well, I just got to obey the government? No, he he went against them and was stretched out on the rack mm-hmm. for it. All right. And, yeah. and I, in, in conclusion, I just want to tell our listeners... You don't have to decide whether you're going to go grab a gun and go attack the police no. station. That's no, not what we're, we're talking not about. We're not saying illegal. We're don't talking do about illegal. <laughs> take a few minutes, get up off the couch, turn off the VCR, turn off the movie, turn off American Idol or whatever your pastime is, grab a sign, go stand in front of your elected official's office, peacefully make your voice heard. Go stand out in front of a checkpoint, hold a sign, invite your neighbors to go, take your children so they can see that you're actually someone with a backbone, someone with principle. Go go do something. Let your neighbors see that you care about them enough that you're going to go stand out there and look out for their interest to their children, too. Uh, do you have any last words, Pastor Anderson? I'm sorry. This is something very dear to our heart. Yeah. And we just We're thank all you fired so much. Over here. We thank you for your testimony, <laughs> your testimony and actions, as well as yeah. your testimony of the Word of God. And, and it, it really makes your testimony in Jesus Christ that much more valid when we see that you're willing to suffer great loss because of what you see happening to your your fellow citizens and your neighbors, and that, that you are your brother's keeper and care about your fellow citizens. Any, any last words to our listeners of uh, words of exhortation or, or, or words that they need to take with them? You know, my exhortation is to stand up for our rights as Americans because of the fact that we ought to be thankful and grateful. You know, God talks a lot about being thankful, grateful, and I think that many Americans are just not thankful enough 
for the freedom that we have in America, which is pretty much unique to this country. Mm-hmm. And all over the world, people are enslaved. All over the world, people live in countries with oppressive governments. Yeah. But thank God, we were privileged to be born in America. And I think it shows a lack of appreciation for that when we yes. are willing to just give yeah. up our rights at such a low price. What yeah. we're saying is, <laughs> God, we're not thankful for, these, for this free country. We, we, mm-hmm. we, we want to turn back to Egypt and eat a cucumber and leek and onion, you know, over in Egypt, like the children of Israel said, rather than enjoy our freedom out in the wilderness. Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah. I hope all of you all heard that. And when you see somebody suffering and you see an injustice on TV and, and you're deciding, well, boy, that's really bad, but it's awful comfortable here on the couch, you think about Pastor Anderson. You think about those blows that he took. You think about the cuts in his face. You think about how easy it would have been for him to get out of that car. How easy it would have been to him to, to, to take the attaboys from them and, 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 and rather than getting the negative words and, and all of the, the negative things that happened to him then. You just think about Pastor Anderson and then you make a decision what to do there. Pastor Anderson, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for your word of thank encouragement you. and I believe good will come from this. And uh, you have a standing invitation to come back. I'd appreciate it if you'd keep us updated yeah. on what happens on the this story. Yeah. And I assume sure. this probably won't be the last thing you do. I think you, you, you crossed the Rubicon with the decision that you made there in that car. And I know you had actually had made that position before, but you, you were faced with it and you made the decision clear cut at that, at that point with your actions. And I'm assuming that that's just the beginning for you. And we'd like to keep in touch with uh, your, your, your further adventures in following the Lord and uh, in serving him and taking care of the little ones out there. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks again, mm-hmm. and God bless. We're back here at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom Hosea 8-4 Bionic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's it. I uh, know. We don't have much time, but what else could be added to that well, it's, challenge? Well, it's, it's very obvious, folks, that uh, what's coming down the pike is uh, massive persecution, in my opinion, you know, we're kind of the end of the days here. It's a setup for a one-world government, massive, you know, massive thing to surveillance state uh, that the Antichrist is going to use. It sort of seems like mm-hmm. what would be painfully obvious if, mm-hmm. you know, friends wasn't on. And Are you going to look after your family and your neighbors, or are you going to stay comfortable in that chair? I like friends. You know? <laughs> uh, Sarcasm. We're not Sarcasm. talking Sarcasm. about going attacking anybody. No. We're not talking about... All we're talking about is resisting the unlawful, mm-hmm. which is what our duty is as citizens, and also I would submit is what our duty is as Christians, mm-hmm. because God is a God of law, and when unlawful activity is going on, we need to put a stop to it. And speaking of unlawful, Merv, come tell our listeners how they can contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. We're way over. That's Sorry, it. Man. That's Come it. back for tomorrow's Tremors tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake.
Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, oh so glad to be here, slightly covered in paint, but ready for some important news stories. Bionic. Right. <laughs> now with that the show's over. Punctu- with ample <laughs> punctuation. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our show. It's another end of the week of mm-hmm. Future Quake. Indeed. After a, uh, to me, a, a very startling show with Pastor Stevenson. Uh, you know, uh, I think more people really need to get to get on board and get aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting a little, you know, we've discussed this, but I'll just say it. I'm getting a little tired of people kind of, you know, burying their heads in the stand with a sand with all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. The fact that a a pastor was uh, pulled out of his car and beaten on on no charges um, is a little ridiculous. You know, in I, this country, I have talked to some good Christians about this, mm-hmm. and a lot of them, I sort of see a collective yawn. Yeah, like, I mean, there's That's some, fatalism. there's some, there's some who say. Oh, that's terrible. How could that happen? And then there's some that's like, hmm, well, how's the weather? Yeah. And, and I, I won't attribute it all to the fact that they think the Lord's coming back. This is unavoidable. That's it. Some of it, I just wonder if they even care. I was thought you were going to tell what me did it was they like do? fluoride. Yeah. <laughs> could be an encrusted pineal gland. Yeah, there you uh, go. You know, we have forgot to announce to everyone what today is. It is Friday, which means it is... Um, it's not trash day. It's not not my birthday. No. It's uh it's brother Tom's birthday. Is it? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Well, happy birthday out there, brother Tom, yeah. from all of us and the fellow Futurians. Yeah. It is tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the futures news. Oh, you 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 got ahead of me. See what happens. I know. You know, and I was so certain that you were going to get it right this time. I got it right last time. Last time. Yeah, I'm still basking in that. Oh, I know. Well. Today, uh, this is the day that we review our news every week on Friday. For all of you new listeners that are wondering, who are these two buffoons that got on this fine mm-hmm. Christian radio station here? Um, we uh, usually have some incredible cutting-edge guest on during the week, mm-hmm. and then the poor people uh, are left with us for the yeah. Friday to review news that should be important to all of you all, or we hope it is, at least a few stories here, and we probably shouldn't waste time. We should get right into our news. But I just want to say something. I sound like a broken record here, but I want to tell our fellow Futurians out here who who have been emailing me um, that I read every email, including guest suggestions, any kind of thoughts on your mind about our topics that we've just had or uh, any doctrinal issues, but I have really been bad about getting back to some emails with some no, folks. Now, hold on. Hold and on. I, I just want to apologize. I've been under some duress, and I sound like a broken record. I'm sorry about that. Well, okay. I'm, I'm going to tell our future Quake listeners here because you're too humble to tell you to, to tell anybody how hard you work. How many hours of sleep have you had in the last three days? Oh, I have about three. Three a night, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's because he's trying to do this show, folks. Well, so, that I mean, is just, just other things of life that happen. Yeah. You know, it's not immune from stuff that everybody else has going on. Yeah. Um, but trying to do some research because we have such incredible guests, they deserve to have time to try to do some good research. But I tell you, every week having somebody new, amazing on our show, it takes a lot of effort mm-hmm. and time. And I just appreciate the support of everybody. But I want to apologize that some of our, some of even our close friends. And best listeners, yeah, uh, you don't even answer I my inhale emails, what you take. Okay. Oh, I don't, I don't. <laughs> uh, we we factor it into what we're doing. Your your guest suggestions, your other comments, we're we're doing. I just I put sometimes put a snag on there saying I will email back, let them know what we're doing. But I have a hard time running a, a short email. Yeah, that's probably would keep me from being a CEO somewhere. Well, because I cannot do a succinct like gotcha or thanks or get on it. I have to like you know I could say happy birthday and it would be like the you know it'd be like four Magna Carta. Yeah, yeah, I know. 
So, hey, you've read my thought emails, I was, haven't you? Yeah, I know. I get. I ask you some simple question, and I feel like I'm rereading the second diet of yeah. spare or something. Yeah, just think if I worked for you, just think what it'd be like. <laughs> you wouldn't get anything done. Well, hey, do you have a story for us that you would like oh, to start in, or would yeah. you like me to? Um, uh, do you want to do rock, paper, scissors? No. Okay, well, then you go. No, okay, if you want no, to. you're going. This is a long one, so I'll tell you, I'll just warn you ahead of time. Okay, no, but no, I think, cool. You know, I don't mean for us to be like all UFOs all the time this summer, but we're sort of leading up to the uh, Roswell UFO Conference, and so that's why we've been having some guests that uh, have been related to this that we've had on our show, mm -hmm. and uh, this is sort of related to this. Is this uh, that Roswell thing you sent me? Uh, I may By, have said uh, this like to Anthony you. Anthony B. something or other. Is the yes, uh, Anthony uh, uh, Bergalatani, uh, Bergalia, excuse me, Bergalia. Uh, and this is uh, Roswell debris confirmed as extraterrestrial. Lab located, scientists named. Uh, now this is sort of related to the Ancient of Days conference coming up in Roswell, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. I hope our futurists can go to. It says newly discovered documents reveal that in the months immediately following the purported 1947 UFO crash at Roswell, secret government studies began on a material that was previously unknown to science. The memory metal that uh, was studied precisely matches some of the debris material reported by several witnesses to the crash. Evidence shows that under military direction, these unique metal studies were undertaken by a contracted labor laboratory that possessed advanced technical capabilities that the U.S. government itself did not have at the time. A former high-level scientist employed by the involved laboratory has offered a confession that he was tasked to study the crashed UFO material. Wow. Information provided by two U.S. Force Generals also offers direct support for this discovery. And he names names in here wow. for this. The documents suggest that after the crash, the U.S. government attempted to develop a unique material that is today referred to as memory metal. This shape recovery alloy was reported by several witnesses to the Roswell crash in the summer of 1947. The lightweight morphing material was able to be crumpled or deformed and then return itself instantly and seamlessly to its original state. Wow. The metallurgical discoveries that resulted from these studies, and I've, I've read that multiple places, eyewitnesses of that, were then seeded. The, the uh, metallurgical discoveries were then seeded for further technology development to other government agencies, including NASA, and through a series of military contracts to universities and industry. The laboratory contracted by Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which, by the way, where I used to work, mm -hmm. uh, to perform these studies was Battelle Memorial Institute in Columbus, Ohio. Wait a minute. Battelle? Battelle. Like the people that did, uh, the people that are, some people think are behind the um, uh, chemtrails? Battelle? Battelle, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I heard some Battelle's a think on. tank. Uh, I've had some involvement with that same group uh, really? outside are you of Columbus. Chemtrails? I have no comment. <laughs> I could be a plant here for all you know, just to monitor Tom Bionic. Uh, Future yeah. Quake may be the biggest front operation, sting operation ever. <laughs> uh, it has been credibly reported that Wright-Patterson Air Force Base was the very base where the Roswell UFO debris was flown after the crash, uh, which is known by many. Mm -hmm. uh, recently obtained documents reveal that these studies for Wright-Patterson were conducted at Battelle under the direction of Dr. Howard C. Cross, C-R-O-S-S, in the late 1940s, H.C. Cross was Battelle's main expert in exotic metallurgy and titanium alloy research. Wow. Uh, curiously, although he was a research metallurgist, Cross was also Battelle's point person in later studies on UFOs that Battelle conducted in the early 1950s for the U.S. Air Force official UFO study, Project Blue Book. Cross is likely an author of Project Blue Book's Still Missing Report Number 13. He is also the author of a strange letter from Battelle to Wright Patterson known as the Pentacle Memo. 
Dr. Cross's historic role will be detailed in a forthcoming article. Mm. Founded in 1929, Battelle is engaged in research, development, commercialization for technological innovation. They specialize in material science and engineering, life science, on and on. Uh, they contract and operate many of the country's national laboratories. Uh, including Oak Ridge, Lawrence Livermore, and Brookhaven Labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to skip down through here. Um, there is a, the full story of the Roswell Battelle connection is related in the newly published sequel book, Witness to Roswell, that was uh, revised in 2009. Uh, and uh, it says a direct connection between the Roswell debris and Battelle studies is revealed in a material known as nitinol. Uh, nitinol is a, spe- a specially processed combination of nickel and titanium displays many of the same properties and physical characteristics as some of the crash debris materials that was reported at Roswell. Uh, both are memory metals and remember the original shape. Uh, let me say that nitinol is something that I've actually held in my hands and messed around with. Really? I've actually had some, and in fact, it does it. Uh, one, one of the things you can do is you can twist it also to weird shapes, and if you touch it with water, it'll immediately go back to its original shape. No kidding. And I had looked wow. at actually making, back in my defense work, making components on airplanes that would be made out of it. Mm-hmm. So when it got shot, it would seal itself back. That's pretty far out. So, you know, have a hole and just re- yeah. refill it. Um, so, you know, this stuff sort of hits sort of close to home. Uh, the earliest known combination of titanium and nickel reported in the scientific literature was in 1939 by two Europeans. However, this crude sample uh, was a byproduct of research entirely unrelated to the study of nitinol. Uh, its memory metal potential was not sought or noted. Um, they would have been un- unable to purify titanium to sufficient levels at the time and would have not known about the energy requirement needed to create the morphing technique. So uh, let me just skip through these. I'm going to keep an eye on our time here. Okay. The next time we see the unique combination titanium and nickel emergence science is by a military scientist associated with naval intelligence at the U.S. Naval Ordnance Lab. It is there that nitinol was officially created in the early 1960s. But Nightingale's official history, including the date and reasons for discovery, is conflicting. Mm. Uh, and uh, it says, uh, recently gained information suggests it was, in fact, Battelle's metallurgist and UFO researcher, Dr. Howard Cross, who fed the U.S. Navy information, including the phase diagram and details on titanium processing that is required to create Nightingale. Uh, and research by this author has confirmed that Nightingale studies actually began at Battelle immediately after the Roswell crash and not in the early 1960s. Uh, and it was Wright-Patterson, where the crash material was flown, that contracted the secret work. Um, and the confirmation of this is given in a brief note, uh, footnote found in a study by one of Nightingale's official inventors at the U.S. Naval Lab. And then a military report on Nightingale, the author footnotes a 1949 Bustel study, which clearly pertains to the refinement of titanium and nickel. And a phase diagram uh, that examines states of metal and how the two metals could be alloyed. So um just going to skip down. Basically what this uh, report has is just ample, all sorts of evidence that suggest that uh, what happened. The history of titanium, which is required to make nitinol, is very revealing. We learned through the review of the literature that, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, after 1947, titanium changed from a laboratory curiosity to an important structural metal. Wow. After 1947. Uh the number of science abstracts on titanium spiked dramatically from 1946 uh, up to 1947. So uh, there was something that really changed here. Uh, and there's all sorts of uh, doc- government documents that are cited here in this report uh, from, from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. 
that talks about metal transformation and metal microstructures all right after the summer of 1947. But it says the reports are missing. A year-long effort was made by the author to locate Battelle's first and second progress reports on memory metal. Although footnotes have been located to the reports in military-sponsored studies, evidence to the actual reports or access remains impossible. Even Battelle's historian was unable to get the documents. Hmm. Even though they're cited in things like the Sarasota Herald Tribune, his reporter was told that Battelle is still unable to find a report and it remains a mystery. Far out. So, you know, even for us skeptical people out there, there's more and more things that are intriguing that there's something, whatever it is, we don't know mm-hmm. what is being kept. So, uh, and by the way, just to mention another name out there, the interview conducted in the 1990s, former Wright-Patterson Air Force Base Brigadier General Arthur Exon, E-X-O-N, mm-hmm. confirmed the existence of the Roswell Medal Reports. Uh, Exxon, base commander uh, Wright-Patterson in the 1960s, related that he was privy to some of the details on the composition of the crash debris and the variety of tests that were performed on This is a general from Mike Patterson saying mm-hmm. this. Astonishingly, Exxon stated of the debris, it was titanium and some other metal they knew about, and the processing was somehow different. Uh, so he, he's consistent with this. Uh, and he says, it wouldn't be surprising if the material wasn't still around. Certainly the reports are. So he, he was familiar with that. And as well, uh, Air Force General George Sh- uh, Shulgin, who led intelligence at the Pentagon at the time of the Roswell incident, authored a previously marked secret draft memo on the flying saucer issue on October 30th, 1947, about four months after the the crash. Uh, It's found in a a section called Items of Construction. He instructs his officers to be aware of flying objects and their materials of construction. Hmm. He specifically notes the unusual fabrication methods to to achieve extreme lightweight and that the material is of a composite construction using a combination of metals. So he's describing some kind of uh, similar characteristics to nitinol here. Hmm. That's pretty pretty far out. I mean, these are generals saying that this stuff is crash stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Battelle Elroy John Center, a scientist, uh, has stated that he analyzed metal from a crashed UFO when he was employed at the Institute. This is another scientist coming forward. Wow. He says, uh, Center was a senior research chemist who worked for Battelle for nearly two decades, from 1939 to 1957. It's been confirmed by his University of Michigan alumni files and by the location of scientific papers that he offered while he was employed there at Battelle. As a graduate chemical engineer, he authored papers that were in highly technical journals about alloys and, and the such. Uh, he was involved in the early analysis of the Roswell debris. Uh, and a groundbreaking material a- analysis technique that the center at Battelle developed has been cited in studies related to polygraphic determination of t- t- titanium and alloys. So um, anyway, after that particular time, uh, this fellow center, his family members confirmed that later he had an intense interest in UFOs and extraterrestrials. Uh, in 1992, researcher Dr. Irina Scott of Columbus, a former Battelle scientist, interviewed a close professional associate of Elroy Center. Uh, he had, had been privately related to him in 1960, to this gentleman, that while he was employed at Battelle, he had been involved in a very strange laboratory project. Center said earlier that he had been tasked by his superiors to assist on a highly classified Battelle study that was contracted by the government. He said that the project involved work on very unusual material. Uh, Center understood that this crash debris was retrieved by the U.S. government from an earlier crash of a UFO. This Mm -hmm. is what he said. Center referred to the item he studied as a piece. He said that this piece was not something to which anyone was familiar. He also said the debris had been inscribed with strange symbols, which he called glyphics. 
Uh, similar markings have sorts of been reported by witnesses to the Roswell crash debris. Sanders stopped short of providing any further details, and he passed away in 1991. Wow. So there's going to be more details from this uh, site. Sorry that was long. I tried to rush through it maybe too much. But even for, you know, and I've, I've never been one to necessarily bite into this stuff immediately, although we've had shows on it. It's sort of been yeah. a theme this summer. Uh, you keep adding more and more data like that from credible people coming up. Yeah. It's harder to sweep it under the rug. It's getting weird. It's getting weird out Sorry, I know that was long. That was probably no, no, a little no, science it's good. Very important, informative. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it at all. You got something you want to share with us? Um, yeah, I guess. Here's one. This came from a, uh, uh, a newspaper in West Africa because our media doesn't report on it. Um, except for Future Quick. Except for Future Quick. We're the one U.S. I keep forgetting that high. we're media. It's weird, isn't it? Media titans is how I refer to us. Media kings, maybe? How do you like media yeah. kings? Yeah, I guess titans has an FLM connection. Yeah. Okay, proceed. Right. Uh, the title of this article is Case Holding Shell Oil Responsible for Hiring Death Squads Begins Today. Uh, uh, Shell versus Ken Sarawiwa. The trial of Anglo-Dutch supermajor Shell over its alleged complicity in the death of Mr. Ken Sarawiwa, leader of the movement for the survival of the Agoni people, uh, will begin today. Hold on one second. <coughs> Sorry, folks. Losing my voice here. Uh, it always happens when I'm trying to read a story. You yeah, you save that for when you're, like, you're on. Okay. It's right down there in the throat, and okay. here it comes. Lawyers from the, mu- from the company will today represent the oil major in a New York court as it faces charges that it colluded in human rights abuses and torture in the Niger, Niger Delta, which led to the hanging in 1995 of Ogoni campaigner and renowned poet Sarawiwa. The troubled oil giant has refused to comment on the court case ahead of the hearings, but the continuing, continued flaring of gas in the Niger de- Delta, a practice Sarawiwa challenged, had exposed the company to greater criticism from environmentalists. Environmentalist groups such as Friends of the Earth and others said in its latest report that Shell is becoming the most polluting company in the world. In a newly compiled report, Illegitimate Energy, Friends of the Earth, and other groups claim that Shell's Nigerian-Canadian operations portray the oil major as polluting oil as the most polluting oil company in the world. Um, it's weird how, like, even in this West African newspaper here, they're having this trial on, you know, Shell. Basically, running death squads. It's like, uh, well, we got to really talk about their environmental record. That's not as <laughs> not as important as the fact that they hired a, a division of troops. People. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Stop and think about that for a minute. Corporate America is hiring people to go kill other people, mm-hmm. and it is acknowledged. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Watergate that was pretty bad. You had a break in. Well, I, but I, these are hiring people to go kill people, and it's knowledge. I mean, that's what that's exactly what General Smedley Butler said back in 1935 in War's Iraq. It mm-hmm. is that these companies did the same thing. Well, uh, one of the things that we have talked about, I think we talked about a little bit. Uh, it just man, if you want to go onto YouTube and YouTube Ken Sarawiwa and uh, look at say that again Ken Sarawiwa. It's a uh, Saro S A R O Wiwa W I W A. It's just despicable. It is just despicable. What happened there under under uh, what appears to be Shell's, you know, money, Shell's dime. They paid half a division of Nigerian troops to go and uh, burn villages and shoot people and throw them off their land. I can't imagine why people would have a negative view in the rest of the world of the United States. Well, why would they want to have terrorists or people that attack us with that that great, you know, gift that we give of mm -hmm. freedom and love to to the world? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I tell you, man, one of the things... Of course, technically, Shell is Dutch. They're yeah. Western. Well, and I believe they tried to actually have the have the uh, uh, the court case in another country, such as the mm-hmm. Netherlands, and the Netherlands said, well, we don't care because mm-hmm. it didn't happen on our soil. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's But anyway, I would encourage anybody here to go out and listen. Go to YouTube or Google and type in Shell versus Ken Sarawiwa. And Sarawiwa is two words, S-A-R-O uh, space W-I-W-A. Check that out. It's just, okay. man, it's just despicable. Wow. All right. I'm why aren't Christians caring more? Why, why aren't you fighting leading ministries talking about that? Well, because it's not in the Word and all this stuff. <laughs> Somebody told me that. It's not in the Word? Yeah, about it, we just gotta, I just got to keep myself in the Word. I can't study all that other stuff. Setting the captives free? and That's not in the Word, brother. I just got to preach the Word. Huh. Dude, don't get, don't you get know me started. What? The, I came here with the scribes and the Pharisees did the same thing, did they not? Didn't the scribes and Pharisees say we don't have time for these poor people out here? You know, you're wasting all your time healing them and feeding them and stuff like that. We've, mm. we've got to go write another copy. You know, well, Jesus said, "I am the Word." You know, yeah, man, don't get me started. Okay, I'm sorry. We'll get that in some whole trouble. Thing really makes me angry. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. All right. You know, I'm preaching to myself on this. I grew up in the middle of all that. I can't say, you know, I have spent, spent a wee bit of time working at a homeless shelter, do little things like that yeah, here and there. Yeah, but you're trying to do something here to inform people. It's like yeah. me and you, we get on here. And, and I'm I, late to the table, though, you know. I absorb with myself most of my life. Yeah, but you're at the table, <laughs> yeah. which is better than 99% of the people. Yeah. But I just, I'm thankful for our listeners who care about this kind of stuff. And I would just pray that uh, invite other people, challenge them if you think it's good to. In fact, even like the earlier this week with Pastor with Pastor Stevens, that's mm-hmm. a great thing for people to listen and realize we have a call to make. You know, there were some Christians that talked about slavery and realized they had to risk ostr- being ostracized from other Christians mm-hmm. to say this is wrong or say mm-hmm. civil rights situation, you know, that something was wrong or, or whatever. And sometimes the Lord calls us for those things. We may have sent you here to this show to convict you about something, because he certainly convicted you of me. Yeah, well, he definitely didn't send me to Nashville to uh, make lots of money. No. <laughs> Just say that. <laughs> okay. Check that one off. Yeah. Hey, would you like uh, some comments for some email? People? Well, I'll tell you what, man. Self-praise is no praise. So let's find some email comments. You know, it's been a whole show, and you haven't mm-hmm. mentioned that yet. Let's see how much time well, we've got know, left. We don't have too much time. I need to be real quick. Well, i got to tell you, my boss told me that, and I thought it was such a good line. I figured I'd use it. Okay. All right. Uh it's, uh, we got one here from uh, Brother Drew. says, I look forward to listening to many more of your extraordinary programs and the joy of the fellowship in the World of Prophecy site. Mm-hmm. So uh appreciate hearing from you out there. There's one I wanted to share with you. Uh, let's see if I find it. Oh, here it is. This is, uh, uh, let's see here, Sister, Sister Cindy. Uh, she's, she's emailed us a few times. She says, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Future and Tom, you continue to provide a terrific program every week. I've listened to all. Congrats on your affiliations with Revelations Radio Network. Uh, it mentions Frank Lordy being a true watcher on oh, the wall. Oh, like Frank. Frank mm-hmm, Chris. That's right. Uh, thought you might want to know of an experience I had with the pineal gland. Uh, as you're no doubt aware now, the pineal gland closely resembles a pine cone. The pine cone is found through, throughout Masonic imagery as the third eye. Several years ago, I visited the Vatican. Don't recommend it. I'll never go again. While crossing the main courtyard, we passed by a giant statue of a pine cone. Our guide was at a loss to explain its relevance to the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Amazing, isn't it, how the threads we follow tie together eventually. 
My prayers are with you both. Sandy. That, that's interesting. You know, uh, as, as you know, I'm working on sort of an applied math thing, right. kind of an ongoing thing. And uh, uh, I can only study for about an hour and a half, and then I have to get up and kind of walk around for a second. Right, right. And uh, that's what happens to our listeners a future quake. They can only take so much. Yeah, about, about like thirty seconds. Right, right. Um, I was walking around. Yeah, I was walking around, and um, here's this house with coming up their driveway. All of these weird-looking, highly stylized pine cones up to front. And I thought they weren't pineapples. No, because you know pineapples are the sign. No, they were pine cones. Welcome, come see us. And the dude was pulling out of the the dude was pulling out of the driveway, and I said, "What's with the pine cones?" <laughs> and he said, "I don't know. I just bought the house this way. It's really weird, but it's right yeah. over. It's just a couple of couple of doors down from a huge Masonic yeah. temple, actually." Yeah. Would you believe? Get it? Uh, Would you believe? One last little word, and then we got to go to uh, our friend Merv here. Yeah. Uh, this comes from, um, by the way, we had a, one of our friends from Australia uh, said, and we'll share that next time. This is, uh, oh, excuse me, this is from Queensland, Australia, from our friend Brother Garth, uh, who listens to Future Quake late night in his warm bed. Hmm. So probably turns the lights out, just tunes in. Good day, Dr. Future and Tom. I'm sure you received plenty of emails like this one heaping praise on you guys, but uh, I was still compelled to write it. I'm a newcomer to your show, but I've listened to it uh, all but a few via podcast downloads. I, I enjoyed L.A. Marzulli and Dr. William Alnor interviews, and I sincerely hope you have them back soon. Wish I could make it to Roswell this year and seriously give it some thought, but my health will not allow it. Mm. Hopefully we'll do a show dedicated to it. Anyway, thank you for the show and your humor and humility. I'll be praying for you guys. Thank you. Man, oh, thanks. That's great. We hang in there because of you all. I'll yeah. tell you, it's not because the super-duper powerful people do. Yeah. So we're glad for who you all are. And Merv can tell you how you can send an email just like that to each of us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're late. Let's get out of here. Okay, come back tomorrow for a fantastic guest. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. There are new dreams, crowding out old realities.